chat with you and gosh I mean it seems like after all these years and then I, I find oh my you God. And I think that is one of the great things really about social media you get to oh, see hell people yeah. you really want to connect with uh we have those people who are friends and those people that we really want to be friends with and when I saw that you were doing this book club thing you know, stories are just really that's my thing you know really uh, yeah oh yeah what format it comes in just give me a good story uh and so when i saw that you had the podcast and the blog um i don't have as much time to read what i call adult reading because i'm yeah, generally yeah. if i have the extra time to read something i'm trying to find something that i can put in my classroom that my kids will read so sure. that if they ask me about it, i can say yes you're gonna love this here's what's going on and i yeah. can have those discussions with them in a class so yeah. i don't really have a lot of time where i'm able to read a lot of what you're reading but yes I look for, I tell myself, there will come a day when there will be more time in my life yes. when I can explore the things that uh, you read what you want to read instead of reading what you have to read. Right yeah. now, I'm still reading what I have to read. Right, um, right. But I, I just, and, and then uh, <clears throat> then one night, I'm <laughs> in bed, and I see the Facebook video where you're singing along with the guy on the piano, and I said, that is the content that I'm here for. And I said, oh. If you'd be interested in reading these stories, oh, yeah, I've been oh, years yes. ago in a creative writing class when I was in upstate. Oh, that's um, right. You saw you sent me a text for my picture. So hold on a second. I have to, I have ahead, to introduce you, Alan. I haven't even introduced you yet because I'm Shelly. Most people, if they're on the Reason Weeds thing, know that I'm Shelly. They know Chris Walton because um, so I'm in Michigan. Chris is in Boulder. Oh. And Alan, are you in Boiling Springs? I'm in Sparkle City, USA. I'm yes. I love it. And and so this is Alan's first time on the show. And Alan and I grew up together. And I have two older brothers. And we grew up in Boiling Springs, South Carolina together. And I cheered. I was a cheerleader with his now wife. And, uh, Same. and we hung Same. out. Oh, my yeah. God. 
Oh my God, it's blowing my mind. And so I have to tell you, Alan, that when I started this, I wanted a reason for me and faraway friends to have long conversations because we would Mm. always be like, yeah, I'll call you back. Let's have a long conversation. But they live in Chicago. They live in New York. They live in, and we wouldn't do it. And I realized if I had an appointment, like a book appointment podcast, like basically it was a way for me and Chris to stay in touch and a few other people and a few other people because it's amazing so you don't make that conscious effort you don't stay in touch you just don't and i like facebook kind of gives you that surface where you kind of you're able to see what's going on in people's lives but you don't don't have that conversation you don't have yes that's what i I love being able to just sit and have a conversation with people oh my gosh when yeah i just like i say honestly what i was saying when I sent you that writing, it's kind of like, you know, when you have kids or, or you birth or create anything, you hope to get some kind, you hope that it has legs where it can stand on its own and live and be its own thing. And then yeah. you hope that when it's judged, that it's judged well, that people say, oh, well, that's okay. And so uh, when I had written these things, I felt like, okay, well, I took the time to write them. Yeah. Uh, if, you know, can they stand on their own? Will anybody else like them outside of my little class, you know, it upstairs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I just threw them out there to say, all right, you know, just, you know, you just kind of like that baby bird. I just pushed it out of the nest and said, you know, if she reads it, fine. If not, it's no. awesome. we know, we know. It's awesome. We, we, we talk about writing a lot on this show because we have sort of a writing group kind of going. We encourage each other to write all the time. And, but Chris, I have to tell you what Alan's been up to. Um, Alan married Tanya, who we used to cheerlead with. <laughs> they produced five Woo. Five children. We have four daughters. Four daughters. We have a son-in-law, and then we have a, a son who adopted us. This it's another long story. Oh, okay. Story. Okay. When Tanya used to substitute, there yeah. was this boy out on the playground who would say, "Watch me, Miss Ruff. Watch me." And he became like a mother figure to her. And as she coached cheerleading, she was there for all of his basketball games, all of his football games, and he started calling her mom. And just really built this relationship with her that. No, you're my mom. And he's always called oh, me. Continued to see her and started calling me pop and just allowed us entrance into his life to be a mom and dad to him. And yeah. so um, wow. And he invited That's us in like that. You know, we we took him in. And so uh he's the same age as Kelsey. He's in the Navy station out in uh, I think it's Santa Monica in California. Wow. My beautiful wife, Quenisha, little uh, a grandbaby named Deuce that is the most beautiful thing. Oh, Oh my gosh, grandbabies. Holy crap. Holy crap. Back in March with the quarantine. We're hoping maybe they'll make it in July for his birthday. But we'll Well, see. So Chris, Chris, also, in addition to all of the offspring and then adopted offspring, he's also (laughs) been a pastor of Covenant Worship Church and teaches sixth grade English and is getting his master's in applied learning and is teaching summer school. (laughs) And I think he's also in a band. Yes, turn up the monster. We're actually looking for a drummer right now and so that we can start now that things are opening up we're looking i wonder if joey does joey still play drums i haven't seen Joey's get him Christmas put joey time. in the band put joey in the band hey, yes. i would say joey if you're listening i would say joey if you're listening but you know why he's not listening because he doesn't give a shit what i'm doing any kind of social media either. that's excellent he doesn't he's golfing right now and he doesn't care anything else uh he's he's golfing and that's it but can you believe all that 
Can you believe all that stuff I just That's so up? much. I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's, it's not so much. Um, I, 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 no, I, Alan, you are wrong here. about that. Well, after watching, you know Tanya. Tanya's my excuse killer. Right after she turned 40, uh, when our youngest, when our fourth daughter was still real young, she decided to get into the fitness and you know she wanted oh my to god yeah so i followed that for a while oh my god raising four daughters working a full-time job teaching classes training she became my excuse killer i realized if she can do it there's really no excuse not to and so at 44 i thought you know what is it i really want to do when we graduated high school i, I went to well, uscs at the time for like three semesters yeah be a high school history teacher I three semesters and you know I was 19 I was like Man, I got a whole lot of other things I could be doing <laughs> yeah that's how I felt about teaching actually when I did yeah, it I dropped, dropped out and uh you know started work, working full-time started dating Tanya married life happened so on uh but when I had the opportunity wait wait when did you get married we got married in uh May 2nd 1992 we've been married 28 years wow wow Oh, wow. Can I say uh, something real quick about your darling wife real quick? Sure. I was trying to think of Tanya uh, stories. And um, one time in my life, one time I was in high school and I got a hickey. And uh, oh, I was at, you got a hickey? You I got a hickey. a hickey. You, you get a hickey. You get a hickey. She's skipping over. I'm just saying there's a gap there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got a hickey. My point is, there was a bruise on my neck that I could not cover up. Put there by working, someone. I was working at a Subway restaurant. Oh. And, and Tanya showed up oh. and was like, here's what you do. And she had this like back of the comb bar of soap rubbing yes. technique that Method. she taught me, makeup. And I'm like, why do you know all this? <laughs> <laughs> Why are you 15 and you're like, here's what you got to do, Shelly. And she just starts showing me and I'm like, I'm mortified. You know what I mean? I'm mortified. Maybe she had some older cousins who... uh, She did. She did. It was an older cousin. Older cousins. Nice move. Right there in North Carolina. Yeah, she had some older cousins. She had had older cousins from our side of the the town. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. So I have to tell you how this kind of, uh, you reaching out to me sort of made this whole entire uh, effort that is Reads and Weeds worth it is I also wanted to, I'm not too big on small talk. Like I, I, I can go like, Hey, what are you watching? What do you think about that show or whatever? Did you see that thing on Facebook for a couple minutes, but then I want to go deep. Right. And so having those kind of conversations intentionally and connecting with a bunch of people for intentional conversations was, was my first goal. My second goal was to like raise cannabis awareness because I work in the industry and, um, you know, grew up, everybody I knew had some kind of cannabis. (laughs) I don't know where it was coming from or how they got it, but I did not understand when I was younger that, some people were just doing it and other people were being largely incarcerated for it, you know? And so as I got older and also I didn't realize until I was older that the message that was sent to me was like, this is your brain on drugs, blah, blah, blah. But the people that I was seeing, like my lived reality was like, I don't think so because like that guy runs his own company. That guy's the valedictorian of his school. <laughs> that guy, like, this doesn't add up. And um, 
you know, a bunch of the people that I know are running businesses or they're, you know, really intellectual, they're writers, they're artists, whatever. That's not true. I want to kind of promote that. I also became curious about um, uh, just how connected I could be to all different parts of the world with people. Like if I'm thinking about how much I read and how unfair cannabis laws are, there's probably other people that are too, you know, and I want to meet them. And I want them to, I want us to have a big conversation. So uh, you reaching out to me from a state that right now has some room to grow in cannabis legalization. There are 20 hemp licenses. I think they're raising it up to 40, um, but recreational is, is nowhere near there. There are some CBD laws for medicinal purposes, things like that. There's CBD shops everywhere, uh, but it's the second most arrests in the country. They arrest you know, those are the most incarcerated in South Carolina for, for cannabis. And so room to grow, room to grow in that, in that situation. But, um, I really just wanted to read with people. So you contacting me after all these years, being willing to be on the show and, and then giving me something to read was like, it was like all of the things. It was like this. As it happens in one of the stories I sent about the road trip, one of the characters actually, it, it, it never states it explicitly in the story. Yeah. One of the characters in the story yes. enjoys to smoke. Yes, he does. And, and, and I got all those references. Of, okay, and that was a very big part of his, uh, <laughs> that was a very big part of his uh, character. And so one of the things that when I was writing that story was, uh, I always feel like uh, good writing doesn't tell you everything. Mm. But it allows the reader to figure some things out on filling your own. Filling in well, the blanks. Yeah, we the, talk a the, lot about the, filling in the yeah, gaps. Yeah, it, 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 lets, it lets me as, as the reader get yeah. into the story because you're, you're, uh, you're assuming there's a level of intelligence that I have. Exactly. That I you have faith in the reader. Exactly, that, yep. that, that you're going to yeah. get this. Uh, and then if you don't get that. It's also more natural in a way, especially in your stories. In your mm-hmm. stories, it's very natural because. Oh yeah, uh, I love them. The 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 voice of the character is so specific. Um, it both stories you feel like you're having a conversation, like you're just you're listening to someone tell these stories. And so, if if somebody's not going to sit next to you and be like, and then we, and it was like this, they're just going to keep talking. So it was really, really that was. I'm sure you got this from your classes, but the voice in both pieces was. If that's your voice, you're solid gold. You should like rub your head. Yeah. Well, um, rub your head. Good, you know, like <laughs> like the genie. He's got a genie inside. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Fill in those gaps. Those, when we had to share those in our creative writing class, what we would do is we would come in like on a Tuesday, pass out the reading for everybody. They would take it home and read it. Come back and on Thursday, you would read it out loud to the class after they'd had a chance to read it, right? And then they could make comments on it in the class. And so when we came in that day and we sat down, I'd already passed it out to them. They had read it, and then now I sit down to read the story. The person beside me goes, "I swear to God, when I read this, I heard your voice reading it to me." And so yeah, I think that's important. Even as sixth graders, I try and encourage them to write as much to find your voice. If you find yeah, yeah. who you are then it becomes easier because you're not trying to be something else. And and I guess I first kind of encountered that not so much in my writing, but as in my preaching style, you know, uh, yeah. you want to be, you look 
you know, do you want to be Billy Graham? Do you want to be TD Jakes? Do you want to be this guy? And I realized oh, very wow. quickly that if I wasn't me, yeah, I couldn't do it. Because yeah. at, at some point, you know, you know, uh, it, it's like the story of the Wizard of Oz. At some point, you look behind the mask. Oh, yeah. Say, That's not really who that person is. Uh, when I first started it's coaching, I was working. It's exhausting. Well, it is. I was working. You can't keep it up. I, said, I told people, I said, listen, you might ride by a parking lot one day and see me cussing a two-liter with a cigarette in my mouth, kicking it <laughs> across the parking lot. No. Oh, did he preach Sunday? You need to know that you can be both people. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that we're all working, uh, you know, not to start preaching, but you know, as we're all working out our own salvation, you know, trying to, you know, not, oh, heck yeah. work, but you know, trying to work things out. Uh, we're we, we still there's that struggle that we have that's in all of us. Um, oh, heck yeah. If I'm not authentic really? who I am, <laughs> just authentic yeah. who I am, then I will be phony. And if I'm this way for you and that way for somebody else, at some point I'm going to run into y'all together and now I'm in a pickle. Who, who oh, am I? And now I'm in a pickle. Oh, my God. Hey, Chris, I have to um, tell you a quote from Alan that I don't think you saw because we were like emailing over Over here here. and then we were texting over here like this. And I said, I said, uh, um, Hey, I like what you've sent me so far. And he was like, Oh, thanks so much for reading them and liking them. And I always thought they were okay, but I also had a mullet in the eighties. I read that. Oh, you did read that. I saw that. (laughs) And I was like, I, then I was like, kind of, I remember him. I was kind of like, Oh wait. Okay. Yeah. That's yeah, the guy. It, 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 it's kind of like, you know, I, I like to tell people, you know, even though, you know, as a pastor, teacher, elder, whatever, you know, person you want to kind of call me, uh, when people ask for advice, I always tell them, then you go, you know, but, you know, I had a mullet in 80, so I, I, I always <laughs> right. make the best decision. You take take this with a mullet-sized grain of salt. That's <laughs> I always try, um, like, especially in the church, I say any question, any time with a verse, because let me just show you what the Bible says. So, mm-hmm. If I give you my opinion, I, I could totally be wrong. I could miss this. Let me just tell you what that says, and then you do with that what you feel like you need to. Um, yeah, my opinion gets you in a whole lot of trouble. Oh, my God. So let me ask you this. So how long, because when I was reading your story, I was thinking like, oh, this, if, if I didn't even know you, right, I would say like this person understands how to tell a story, like where pauses should be when a certain description mm-hmm. should come in. Like I was thinking about that. So yeah. I'm wondering how far into preaching and teaching did you take this story writing class? Like how many years had you been preparing sermons, preparing lesson um, plans before um, you started the writing class? I guess I started you know, preaching up full time every you know Sunday, Wednesday, thing like that in uh, 2007. Uh, okay. Wow. So it was probably six or seven years in, into that before I before I actually took the class and started writing. Um, but um, like in, in, in the first piece I sent you, I think it might have been uh, Keep the Goodwill of a Dog, the, the person yeah. about my grandmother. That was the first one I wrote. You know, in it, she was the best storyteller. Right. Yeah. You know, there's some people who can tell a story. There's some people who just can't. And and I, I'm always amazed by those people who can draw you in with a good story. And and really, that's any kind of preaching or teaching. You have to be a great storyteller. And that's what made Jesus so effective. He was able to bring different people from different walks and, and different 
you know, structures in life or whatever. Bring He goes, all right, so there was this guy, and he had two sons. And immediately, yeah. like, okay, I can relate to that. And he goes, okay, so there was a shepherd, and he had these sheep. And everybody goes, okay, yeah, I get that. Tell me yeah. the rest of the story. This is and the he, size of a mustard seed. And everybody in that town goes, oh, yeah, that's really small. Exactly. And so, I get it. Um, I get it. Yeah. What I refer to it is like uh, – and, and and the biggest thing that I work on, like when I'm, I'm putting a, a sermon or something together, you know, the scriptures there, that's what I'm going to use. But it's the idea of uh, how do you get everybody in the boat? What, <laughs> yeah. what is it that you can say that so that no matter what the room looks like, because that's what Jesus would do. He would get everybody in the boat with him. You, you need that initial buy-in. And so a good story, mm. um, and I try and, you know, tell my kids, you know, in your exposition with the character and settings, you need to give me something where I can buy in. Wait, how many years have you been teaching sixth grade English? So I just finished my third year. Oh, that's okay. awesome. And let me ask you this, because I'm, I'm fascinated by this. A few years ago, I worked with this um, thing we have in Ann Arbor called Project Genesis, I think it is. Oh, no, no, no. Is that what it's called? Anyway, <laughs> I went to this school, you know, this middle school and helped with homework and writing assignments and stuff like that. And then I worked at this shop in, in downtown Ann Arbor where they had like little writing groups and stuff for, for free for all ages kids. And um, two questions. One is, um, are kids huge? Because I remember being in this seventh grade group and going like, wait a minute, when did kids get to be six feet tall at age 13? Like what happened? Is it hormones in the food? So A, are your sixth graders huge? First question. B, second question, are there some kids that are just crazy about writing that are like trying to write a novel? Because I ran into those kids too of that age group. So okay. are they huge? And yeah, they write novels. What's the deal? <laughs> yeah. Most sixth graders, when they come in, um, okay. they're, they're, they're fresh out of elementary school. And that's yeah. why sixth graders, they are just so happy to not be the baby anymore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but they are still kind of babies, you know, at sixth grade. Oh, yeah. In, 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 Do they switch schools? They're, they're are they in a new building in sixth grade? Yes. Sixth yes. grade enters into so, first time into that middle school. Yeah. They're no longer at the yeah. elementary school. But they're not uh, kings anymore. Right. And so they're not yeah. willing to try you or anything. That's why, listen, I, like I said, I'm turning 50. I don't need some 17-year-old boy that's uh, 6'2", 230 pounds trying to make his bones off me. I'm not <laughs> My daddy took but it's so fun. It's such a great way to earn money. So, um, so for myself, you know, sixth grade, they, they're not that big. And you have those kids yeah. who, who want to read everything. Yeah. They are readers. They they literally walk down the halls with books in their hands. They sit at lunch with books. Uh, when yeah. you give them an opportunity to write, you can say, give me a paragraph and a page and a half later. They're like, I'm not finished. I'm not finished. I'm not finished. Um, uh, then you have those, some kids that if you can get a, a well-constructed paragraph out of them, then you've done a lot. But It feels good, yeah. Fact, I, I try to encourage them. You know, uh, I tell them, your knowledge is your power. You're not in here for anybody else but you. You want to learn as much as you can because it makes you more valuable. You know, they can take uh, your house. They can take your car. They can take your job. They take your kids, but they'll never take that. <laughs> if you think, put that, you know, you do this for you. So give yeah. the best opportunity to succeed by learning as much as you can for you. Uh, and so I tell them that writing is your voice. You know, you want do to be kids, able to This may be hard to judge, but... Do your, did you, I don't know if you know this, but um, Chris teaches too, and she usually yeah. teaches like one-on-one. Oh, on one. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, well, no, no, is no. It, I no. teach. Um, I teach kids with special needs. Oh. So I, I was in the school systems, 
And then I left and I started my own little nonprofit and I worked full time doing that for like a couple of years. And then I kind of backed off that. And now I just have a couple of kids. I have two kids. One just graduated. When I met, when I started working with his brother one-on-one, um, he was still too inhibited to trust anybody to work with him because he's mm-hmm. been so tossed around the school system. Yeah. He's on the spectrum disorder, uh, autism spectrum um, spectrum. And he uh, like couldn't read a thing. So I taught him how to read when he was in like sixth, seventh grade. And now he's reading and I got him writing. I got him typing and he, he he's independent now. He um, works on cars and he just graduated in 2020. And then I have another kid who I met in the school system when he um, was in third grade and he was born with cerebral palsy. And when I met him, he had, he had been um, in his classroom experience, literally the teacher would start teaching. He'd get up and move around the room. Very autism spectrum like, um, which is just my jam. And he, so I met him in third grade. He is now going to be a senior and I have gotten to work with him. All oh my gosh. When I met him, um, he was reading a little, he could count to 20, but he couldn't count backwards. Wow. So, so subtraction was not happening, the, even the concept of it. And his handwriting was, um, I mean, all these, all the kids I work with are generally called dyslexic, but they're usually so much more complex. But anyway, um, I taught him how to type and now that kid writes stories like, ah, like hundreds of thousands of words. Love it. It's his Love thing. It. It's his oh thing. My God. And he is about to be a senior. And so, um, I have gotten, I've had the, I've had a really unusual teaching journey, um, but yeah, and, and I, and my creative writing focus, once I got my MFA, both of these kids, well, I mean, like you say, I, I'm just so passionate about books and writing. Mm-hmm. So when I'm hanging out with these kids and they're going, oh, I hate reading or it's this or it's that. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> Let's watch this show. Like watch this right. show. I want you to watch this show. And I've read the book. I know it like the back of my hand. We're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I just get them into it that way and then slowly, you know, chunking down the language so they could access it. It's so rewarding. But uh, I've always wanted to teach. My goal was to teach like fourth, fifth, or sixth grade um, English classes. And I'm still thinking about it, Alan, and listening to you talk. I'm like, oh, man, would I love to have a sixth grade class. Another reason sixth grade fits great for me in that – well, one, Tanya works at the middle school. So, I mean, that joy What if they get to hang out because they're adorable? Because obviously. Because <laughs> they're so cute. 28 years, we can't get Tanya's enough of each other. 14, Tanya's been in the crack for 14 years. She does, uh, like, the power school coordinator. She does all the state reports, the grade Oh, board, I can see that. All that stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she, 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 you know, she's one of the front office ladies. I you know? so see she that. runs it. Everybody in town knows her. Two ladies at the <laughs> yeah. who run the school. Tanya's one. Yeah, of them. Uh, the world. So <clears throat> when I had the opportunity to do whatever and go back to school, I thought, well, you know, how great would it be to ride to work with her every day? She goes to her office. I go to my classroom. At the end of the day, we just love it. In the car and we leave. You know, so that's oh fantastic. my god. Um, Watch this. Hold on one second. I want to, now I just want to come, I want to show up with like a camera crew and follow you guys around. 
so like, but sixth grade, here's the thing that I've kind of, you know, obviously you're teaching to the standard. Look at that couple. I've got I saw you guys that on the screen. Oh my God. Look at how cute. Okay. Let, let me Tanya. tell you on my Facebook page, there's a picture of Tanya and I dancing together at the warehouse. Wow. <laughs> remember when Lori and I I was trying to remember the timeline wait a minute wait a minute you're cousins with Lori Lawless right <gasps> I just all remember this. Like this and see Lori's birthday is four days after mine and so we would have parties together we had a party at the warehouse one year and she <gasps> of course you did would oh you slow God. dance with my friend Tanya I said sure <sighs> Tanya and I did what grade? Time. What grade? Uh, it had to have been after the seventh grade, maybe eighth. That grade, seems like right to me. Grade. That seems right to me because um, she she was she she was trying to beat me up for um, <laughs> for Todd calling me, and I think you were you were pre Todd, and I do remember that, and that's the only reason I remember is I was like Alan came after Todd. I think that Todd was his who? name. I don't know. Um, Some little yeah, Todd. That, that's. Shelly, he, here's another memory I have. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just saying. I, that's my, I was like, no, no, oh, no. I know when the timeline I was. I loving it. <laughs> I, I'm like. Here, here's a memory. See if you can remember this. Now, people always say, where were okay. you? Happen. Okay. So it, uh, for, for whatever reason, obviously, you know, I was over at Lori's house one night during the week. Obviously. We're running the neighborhood doing something. Sure, sure. Going, we're Things people do. Between the houses, you know. Lori's house, the heart sows. Sows, my backyard, Mindy Hicks. And so we've we're, we've run into your house, and the Motown 25 is on. And we stood there in your house, you, your mother, Joey, we're all there, and watched Michael Jackson do the moonwalk for the first time when he did Billie Jean at the Motown 25. Oh, <gasps> I Standing love that. House. Really? All, I was at home alone. For the first time you saw it, because we were all like, what the? What did he just do? Yeah, he oh my gosh! I know it was incredible. He was like magic. So yeah, oh but my that, that's another memory right there in your house. So. Do you remember? So do you know what I remember from that neighborhood? I remember the day that Elvis died because Mary Beth Webb and Joyce, like all the ladies, came running over to our house, like crying <laughs> and comforting each other because Elvis died. <laughs> I kind of remember I you talking that. about that. I and I was that. like, wow, is this like, do we know his? He's just that musician, right? Like, <laughs> Mary Beth was like, ah! No, yeah. That's fantastic. Elvis is dead! There's so Ooh. much group activity going on There's over there. So well, you know what? We like, Basically, our day was, I was thinking about this too, is like, I'm just going to go over to Lori Hartzo's house first and knock on the door and ask if I can jump on the trampoline, right? Yeah. Because if I can start out with that, then later on day. when I'm hot, I'll walk across to Mindy's house and ask if I can get in the pool. Mindy. Or, or I'll go over to somebody's house and ask them if I can wash their car. Or I'll go over to Lori Lawless's house and we'll just wander around the neighborhood like yeah. eating ice cream yeah. or whatever. And then we'll go back and jump on the trampoline and then we'll go back and get in the pool. Yeah. <laughs> All around, just in a circle. Just yeah. in the Northgate circle. Just round yeah. and round. North oh my God. Circle. You grew up in a neighborhood with your neighborhood kids. But your yeah. crew, your crew was like, um, were you like, it was like a David, a Chris, yes. a Mark. Yeah, right, okay. like Chris uh, Anderson, Chris David. Anderson, brother Mark Anderson. Okay, David yes. Lanford, David Lanford. 
guest, uh, Todd Gear. Todd Gear, that's him. And so Isn't that another that guy? Huh? Yeah. So in that's Todd. School, kind of the four horsemen: Todd Gear, Chris Anderson, David Lamford. The four of us. We kind of. Oh my God! Together. That's right. You guys were the long-haired, cool dudes from yes. Springfield. Yes. I in kind of yeah. that. David had a Mustang. Todd had an RX-7. Hell yeah, they did. Back when you used to race, going down Highway Nine. Sure, sure. Oh my God. Wow. wow. I, I love this. Be when you wanted to skip school, once you passed the pantry, it was Peach Orchard and Back the Road. The pantry it was. Back. I know. It was one of my favorite That's turns. Yeah. I mean, sure. You turned right. You you turned you turned right at the pantry and yeah. you went a couple miles down and there was my house. Yeah, and, right. And, and, like and the, the boiling springs were supposed to be behind that pantry, right? I know they're such bullshit. People yeah. go, why was it called Boiling Springs? Like the amount of time when you know living in Michigan mm. that I have to explain <laughs> Boiling Springs and '96, like because my parent Robbie and everybody lives in '96 yeah. right now. They're like, what do you mean '96? I'm like, it's '96. That's the name of the town. Well, what does it mean? I'm like, you know, the verdict is out. Like <laughs> research has been done. It's been Maybe, so long. No one's really sure. No one can there's remember. Some, there's some debate. But no one is really either strong. I'm like, it was 96 miles from Don't, somewhere. Next or time ask, tell them because Pumpkin Town and Sugar Tit were taken. Right, right. Nice. Aner was taken. Aner yeah. was taken. Could have been Mayo. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't Mayo. What, where Shoals. Where Shoals. Um, oh my God, this is blowing my mind that this is happening right now. Wow. And we're talking. It's um it's May 29th, 2020 for posterity, uh, which means that a lot of us have been quarantined. We're in the pandemic. Alan's probably preaching on that. I'm uh, maybe in one of the hardest hit areas in the entire country, kind of in the middle of it. Uh, you know, maybe the most cases in the entire country are right near me. But also no, there's the strange... Yeah, the Detroit area of Michigan. I didn't know. Like, I haven't, wa I haven't watched the news for like a week. Well, I have to because I have to be like, we, we're super quarantined because Detroit wow. is one of those like. Mega. Yeah, like super, high population. Super spreader. Super spreader. So in Washtenaw County, it's not as bad. But the other thing that's going on in Washtenaw County right now is a police officer in the town where I reside at this moment um, was videotaped punching a woman oh, no. many, many times. And the town is um, freaking out, very, very upset. And so this morning I went for a walk and did my normal walk and walked and was kind of like okay. cleaning the streets. I wasn't cleaning today. I wasn't cleaning okay. today, but I was um, just checking out because there are some scheduled protests in Detroit, in Ann Arbor. Yeah. But in Ipsy, it's like, it could just kind of go off the rails. Yeah. So, yeah. so, but it was not. It's super peaceful today. Everything's lovely. People are hanging out. It's lovely. It's a nice day. And there's, it's relatively quiet, you know. Yeah. But so that I'm just putting in context where we are in history on this yeah. day. <laughs> um, and how yeah. wonderful it is to be talking to both of you and uh, how, how grateful I am for reading and put doing this because it's, I, I've probably done seven of these during yeah. the pandemic, you know? Yeah. And I've hated every minute of trying to figure out the technology. I've hated the oh. sound quality of the mics. I've hated yeah. looking at my face on a camera, but I would not 
change it for anything because it's it's kept this going mm-hmm. and it, it's yeah. been really important. So, yeah. Alan, I have to ask you, your sure. little backdrop that you've got going on, yeah. is, that, is that new-ish? What's going on behind there, dude? What's going on? What's there's back like- there? That's <laughs> all I, I, I want to know. Well, I can I can explain everything to you. Uh, okay. Oh, God. Okay. The bowels of the inner sanctum of the bat cave. Okay. Uh, we are in my washroom. Uh, oh, okay. This beautiful sheet right here. If I was to, I'm not going to pull it back because it's here for a reason. My wife. Okay. Uh, there's hilarious. Like, there's storage things back there. But, sure. Uh, okay. Like what you're saying with. No one was prepared for this, what's happened to us. Uh, and so we had to figure out, okay, when we can't meet as a church anymore, yeah. why are we meeting? What's important? Is it, is it the fellowship? Right. Is it to get together and take up an offering is it so we can share the word and teach. If the important thing is to share the word and teach and encourage one another, then how do we continue doing that? Um, one of the things I like doing, uh, and Shelly, you might remember this. Remember when we went to elementary school? Right there on Old Furnace Road. Yeah, I remember that. Now that's the Upstate Family Resource Center. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I love that building. That's that building. We have church. We've been there since 2010. We have church really. Where you sat and ate lunch in elementary schools, where we have service. That is Shut super up. weird. Dude. Okay, so we've been partnering with super for the past weird. Year. They let us put up a big screen. And a projector up there uh, so that when we have service, we can put the scripture up on, on the screen so everyone can see. You know, To me, that's important that you see yeah. the scripture up there, that it's not just my opinion, you know, but here's what the word says. Um, and so we partner with them when they have different events up there. We go up there and run the sound system and things like that for them. It's been a great partnership with us in the community. Um, so <clears throat> let's see. When we couldn't go up and do that, I was trying to think, all right, what do we do? Well, we'll record the service. So I hooked my computer, my PowerPoint up to my TV. Tanya was recording me and everything, and it looked awful. Uh, it, it, was, it wasn't natural. It yeah. felt forced. It, it wasn't me. I was real uncomfortable. Yeah. And, but it was what we had, and so I spent all that night trying to figure out, now, how do I get this off my phone and up on Facebook or something? Oh, how my Lord. Upload. Oh, I feel your pain, bro. I do. I tried 10 different ways. I couldn't get it to work. And so now I'm running out of time. It's approaching 1030 that Sunday morning. What am I going to do? I was left with one option. You're going to go Facebook Live. You're just going to, having never done Facebook Live, I'm not one of those people who feels like anybody wants to see me or needs to hear me so bad that I'm going to put myself out there. Stuff out there, yeah. Right. Maybe shy or whatever that way. Uh, But out of necessity... I said, okay, so I'm getting ready to go out here. And so I went out in our garage, which has all my daughter's stuff home from college, things that we've moved out. You know, it looks like a storage garage. Sure. Um, but that first, Sunday, that first Sunday, that's where I did serve. I'd set my camera up between two things of insulation or whatever. You know, I just wedged it and set my computer over to one side and wing it. You know, went through the service. Yeah. yeah. And so when that was over, Tanya says, we need you to set you up something better so everybody's not looking around back there in the background looking at the garage and this where you can see. <laughs> yeah. Came out in our washroom. She put up a shower curtain, got a sheet and everything. And so when I need to come out here on Sundays, we can set up my camera with a little tripod. Yeah. You know, for the band, I have the tripod, this little thing, you know, and you can yeah. put your phone right there in it so you can see your lyrics as you sing. Well, I set my yeah. phone and record Facebook Live. When I have uh, team meetings with my class, 
uh, as we've been having virtual school for this last nine weeks. Oh my gosh, you got to do that too. Yeah, so this just gave me somewhere I could come. It's not disturbing the rest of the kids in the house. I can still go to the Wi-Fi. The dog's not barking. So this is my uh, Tanya created the little default studio for me. I love it. It works good. If I turn around, you can see the washer and the dryer. I've got to where on Sunday mornings I play this game. Uh, How late can I start the washing machine before I have to, you know, I was sitting there the other day going, if this thing doesn't cut off, they're going to have to sit and just be wet for a little while because I don't want to hear the washing machine going while I'm cheating. You know what? It's sitting in front of a washing machine is its own lesson. It's its own <laughs> lesson. You know, it's like one day on one of these shows, there was just a lot of sirens, a lot of sirens and Ipsy. And somebody was going, is, is everything okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? And they said, uh, well, there's a lot of sirens. And then I realized in where I live, I don't even hear them. Yeah. You know, that yeah. person listening to me was very concerned about the sirens. I'm like, what sirens? Oh, there's only been three sirens in two hours. That's good. We're <laughs> fine. Nice We're, We're fine. good. It's a standard Tuesday. Um, okay. So, oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. So much. <laughs> so much. So um, much. But uh, I invited you on here today, Alan Ruff. To, and, and thanks so much for, I'll tell you what is great is when I first started this, I wanted to read old books and new books and female writers and male writers and scripts and song lyrics and poetry and everything. And I've had probably five authors and, um, but I don't think other than our poetry issue, anybody's ever been like, Hey, let's read something I wrote. Usually I have to mm-hmm. pull it out of them. Mm-hmm. Usually I have to go, hey, come on here and read me some of your poetry. But you saying like, yeah, let's read this thing. This is the first time we've done that. And it's, yeah, it's a new it's good. thing. And I loved it. And I was so glad you sent it to me. So why don't we start with, um, do you think I ever met your grandma? Probably uh, the the grandmother in Keep the Goodwill of a Dog, that is Billy's mother. Lori's dad, Billy, that's his <gasps> mother. Bill Lois' mother? Yes. Oh, so my that, gosh. Keep the Goodwill of a Dog, yeah, that, that was Mr. and Mrs. Lois, that's Billy's mom and dad. So there is a good chance some point over the years. Yeah, I'm sure I've met her. Likely, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I'm sure I've met her. We've probably sat around in the backyard sweating, eating fried chicken off of a paper plate next to each other. Watermelon, something sitting around in the, yeah, in the yard at a picnic. I have no Sticky, doubt. sticky yeah. with just like a running garden hose going somewhere. Yeah, yeah. 100% chance. A garden hose. I've been telling people, I'm not really worried about catching uh, anything around here. I've drank PJ out of a bathtub from the peach. <laughs> inoculated from everything. Nice. The peach blossom. Yes. The peach blossom. It's a motel that people used to party at. Is that right? Yes. The diner's still there, but the hotel's gone. Well, that's too bad. Because what a nice place that was. (laughs) You know if you know if they're letting all the crabs. You know if they're letting like an 18-year-old boy with a fake ID saying he's 32 rent a room for 60 people that it's a really nice yeah, place. Yeah, <laughs> You have cash. Uh, not yeah. just me and those 17 friends in my car. <laughs> no biggie. 
with these seventeen dollars worth of nine cases of Milwaukee on prom night. Please yeah. go ahead and keep this deposit. Yeah, we're all in tuxes and we're totally sober. Right, or we're in like flip flops and no shirt, but you can totally <laughs> trust us. I've got a three liter of Mountain Dew and eight sunburned, wasted guys with mullets behind me. Everything's fine. Yeah, um, there's nothing to fear. Nothing. To fear. Nothing, everything's gonna be okay. I can't believe we didn't die. Um, so, so many times I'm like, did I ride in the back of a truck with those people all the way to Lake Bowen and, and then get out? <laughs> And just barefoot skip school. I think I did. That yeah, sounds right. You did in the Clemson truck. In the Clemson truck. Okay, listeners, I don't think I've ever told this story. And then we're really going to talk about uh, Alan's story. stories. Yeah. So, uh, I grew up in Spartanburg, South Carolina. The big football fan thing was Clemson versus South Carolina, kind of the way it's like Michigan versus Michigan State or Michigan versus Ohio State, wherever you are in the country, there's a big rivalry. We were the Clemson Tigers. Everybody was really excited. And my dad went to Clemson University. We were big Clemson fans, went to football games. When my brother Robbie, my dad was also a farmer, he had a big green old farm truck that he was getting repaired right before Christmas. Robbie was turning 15 or 16. And on Christmas morning, we go out into the driveway and my dad has had the big old, I think it was big old green, old super farm truck painted up white with tiger paws and like a tail coming out of the, the gas tank. And, and it, and it played, I think part of the tiger rag or something. And let me tell you about how much fun the Clemson truck brought so much joy to our neighborhood, <laughs> to our family and friends. People were like, let's ride in the Clemson truck. It was a whole event. Getting in the back of the Clemson truck was all you needed. You didn't have to be like, we're going to do all these activities. It was just like, I'm going to come over. You're going to get in the back of the Clemson truck. That's it. End of we're going to ride around, maybe drink something out of a glass bottle because that's also safe in the seventies and eighties. But so the Clemson truck was this amazing memory. It was in parades. Like we took it to the tailgates, people, Mm. you know, people wanted to hang out in this Clemson truck. It was just, you know, it's hilarious. It's amazing. So (laughs) I have no memory of the Clemson truck. Are you serious? It's very vague. I don't oh know God. how I don't That's remember that. That's because it was eclipsed by all the other terrible cars that I had, like the two-tone brown Chevette. Love the and Chevette. Then, and then like the 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 little white Colt that yes. weighed like 12 pounds. What did we have? It had a name. Hope had a name for that car. What was it? I don't know. It, it seems called... like it would have been like, like, a, like, a, like a suppressed <laughs> young girl. Because <laughs> it was like... It was weak. Young white <laughs> girl in the South. <laughs> it, was, it was like, I don't know. It was, it, it was, it was tiny. It was so light that I think at some point um, the football team put it on the sidewalk, like took it from its parking spot and put it yeah. on the sidewalk. Yeah. That sounds right. I found yeah. it there. I found my car on the sidewalk because it weighed like 12. It was like a pretend car. It was like a pretend a starter car. car for a child. It, it was. didn't come with a big like key that went in the back, but it looked like it should have. 
like when a child draws a picture of a super a basic car. car yeah, that's, that's it. What it was. That is that the car. Good. That's true. That's so yeah, true. It's true. It's true. Okay. Oh my God. Clemson truck derailed me. I just had a whole sorry. Yeah. Amazing thing. That's awesome. Um, okay. So Alan Ruff uh, took a creative writing class and has a wonderful storytelling style. And he sent me two stories, two wonderful short stories. And if you've never tried to write a short story, it's its own animal. Yeah. When is it done? Am I done? Have I reached my point? Have I gotten to the point soon enough? So um, in your creative writing class, Alan, were these both written in the same class? Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and what was the, uh, was it a prompt or what was uh, the prompt? So the prompt for keep the goodwill of a dog was a personal narrative. You had to tell mm. a story about you. Okay. And I didn't really, I'm not one. It's odd to say this now on here with you. I'm not one to tell my business a whole lot. Uh, yeah. But I did want to try and honor my grandmother. You are now. <laughs> and so I thought if there's anything good in my storytelling or my ability to write, it's because uh, I, I spent so many years listening to my grandmother tell all these wonderful stories. And so I thought, well, instead of telling my story, why don't I kind of tell her story and, and then tell how her story still impacts or affects me to this day. Yeah. And so it's kind of, that was the problem. It needed to be a personal narrative. So I thought, all right, let me tell her story. So that just yeah. kind of made it a little bit easier. I love it. I love it. And then do you remember um, how long you worked on it? Like, was it kind of like, did it just all come out and there was a little bit of edits or did you kind of like work and craft and edit and, you know? Well, I, I would say because it was a school assignment and like I say, in trying to work and do all the other things, you know, there's, there is that time frame from when it is assigned to when it is due. And I mm -hmm. want to say it was probably like a two to three week, no more than three week period. Most of those writing assignments had a two week time frame for. And mm -hmm. then uh, I don't remember who you might've had for eighth grade English at Bowling Springs Junior High. Do you remember your eighth grade English teacher by any chance? Um, I'm, Mm -hmm. I feel like there was a Miss Strunk. That sounds right. That sounds familiar. Ms. Strunk does sound familiar. I had Mrs. Green, and here's what she taught us in eighth grade, and I teach it to my kids now. When you write a story or write an essay, tell them what you're going to tell them about. Mm -hmm. tell then them. tell them. Tell them what you tell told them. Tell them you told them. Yes. So yes. It's, it's, it doesn't have to be. And then she said, do an outline. If you kind of do an outline and gather your thoughts together, then after you've kind of gathered your ideas, the rest of it's just going in and finding the right adjectives, preposition, and adverbs, you know, to describe. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I kind of started with the idea of, all right, if I'm going to tell her story, what is it about her story that still resonates with me? And uh, as you, I'm sure you remember growing up in the South, there's all these little sayings. Oh, my gosh. There's a, there's a little country saying for everything. And I've always tried to, you yes. know, I hear something I want to put it in my pocket because that was funny. I'll remember it. I'll use it later. Uh, oh, yeah. My grandmother, because she was such a great storyteller, she had a million of these little things. Uh, and so she had always said she was going to write them down. She mm, actually Yeah, that killed me when I read that. I thought, you know, how can I write some of these things down? You know, I still remember them and how they've impacted me. And I still share these things with my kids. I share these things in my classroom with my sixth graders. Uh, I, they're just little wisdoms. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
So I want to, I want to, I want to read this uh, because a lot of times what Chris and I are talking about on the show is great sentences and stories that really quick you get really quickly get you into a, a place or a scene. And so the beginning of keep the goodwill of a dog, I made a note that like for both stories, I really liked the first two or three sentences, like, cause it immediately, I'm interested in yes, right away. So, so yeah. So uh, keep the goodwill of a dog starts with the, ask anyone in their mid twenties where they were on September 11th, 2001. And they can tell you in an instant, ask someone in their mid forties and they can tell you where they were when Reagan was shot, when the challenger exploded and when OJ took off in a white Bronco, but ask my grandmother and she can't remember where she was or what she was doing on October 24th, 1929. And that, Really well done. It's so good. It's such yeah. a strong start because A, I immediately, you're talking right to this audience mm-hmm. and I immediately pictured everywhere. Do you know what I mean? I'm like, yes, right. I was there. I was there. I was there. I was there. And then I realized like your grandmother, that was the day the market crashed. Right. And you have to know, you have to trust your reader yeah. to fill in all of that and go, oh yeah, the day before the shit hits the fan, like the day before a pandemic shutdown happens, yeah. you're not going. Yeah, kids right now don't know <laughs> if yeah. they're four that they're living through. Right. Yeah. This thing, and yeah. so it put me. It painted such a quick picture, and it I sets just, up the narrative. Mm-hmm. Let you know I'm t- I'm t- I, the I the writer am talking, but I'm about to talk about my grandmother. So mm-hmm. yeah. So, and, and that is the idea. And the timeline. Get everybody in, in the boat. You know, when, when I'm teaching yeah. it to grade, it's the hook. It's your question, yeah. quote, your dynamic yeah. statement. Yeah, what yeah. I've had people uh, call it packing a suitcase. Yeah. And, and, but yeah. it's like fishing. That first little bit gets them to nibble. Yeah. But you need to really set that hook. So what is it that makes the reader go, okay, now you've got me. I really want to know what's happening here. And so, like you say, if I can put you with you now – when you start remembering the, where you were in those places, it immediately puts you in that story. So yeah. now you're not just a reader of the story. Now you feel like you're a participant in the story. You've been invited into it. And now I'm not yeah, just an and observer from the outside. I'm inviting you into this intimate setting that I'm trying to create. I want to tell you this certain story. Uh, you know, please come You know, sit down. It, it, think of like a, the old innkeeper on the dark night. Please come in yeah. and sit down and gather around as I tell this yeah. story. Yeah. My goal in life is to be the old innkeeper. Yeah. <laughs> I want to run an inn. I want to run an inn where, where at the end of the night, all of my people come in and they sit around the fireplace and we pass around a big pipe. And I go, let me tell you stories of long ago. Yes. That's Chris. That's you want to go around this with me? Yeah. Are you? Yeah. I'm That's so my retirement yeah. plan. Just Son. Yes, yes. Let's do it. Let's have a bit where we just sit around at night and in wouldn't this be great? So like we we run an, an inn, total yes. cannabis friendly inn. Lots of books. With books everywhere, and people sit around this Fireplace. great big, comfortable place. And it's like the storytelling lounge. It's not separate tables where people face away from each other. It's like if you're gonna be in this inn, you're gonna hang. We're gonna yeah. tell stories. Yeah. Bam. Okay. New goal. Um, It also, the reason why I think it sets up is if you remember OJ and the Twin Towers and all that, then you kind of also remember how life shifted after that. Like you remember like, oh, 
all of these things now are because of that thing. And right. so it sets up like my grandmother's life was formed mm-hmm. after that crash. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the things that she taught yeah. me were informed by that. Yeah. Right. Juxtaposition of two generations in five sentences. And mm-hmm. you're telling us the A, like for me, when you opened with here, if you were alive in the eighties, here's what you're going to remember. Um, I was like, Oh, immediately I was like, Oh yeah, that's me. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I know I'm this, I'm probably about the same age as the writer, which also brings you closer to the writer. And we, mm-hmm. we don't know anybody's name. We don't. So it's, yeah, it's really well done. Love it. Um, yeah. Really good. So tell me, okay. So I am so How sure long did you work on that paragraph? <laughs> and did it come together? I'm sure it did. As you were writing, I'm sure it changed. And then you finally got it. No, um, I, like I said, always the initial thing, and, and even when I'm telling my kid, it's just if you can get started. Yeah, get, out, get it out there. Get that flow going. And then I, I always tell them, if you can get this flow going, then just write. Don't worry about going back and we can clean anything up later. Just flow with what you got. And so I tended to try and think, what things do I remember like that? I remember standing 10th grade Bowling Springs High School when the Challenger. I remember I had just finished eating. You were in 10th grade? Eating. We were and in 9th grade. Tandy and I had just finished eating at Capri's. We're walking out at Capri's, and we stood there for Capri's. 10 minutes and watched him chase uh, the white Bronco with OJ. <laughs> I had just came home from school in the fifth grade, Miss Brandon's class from Holiness Chapel Middle School, when they told me that Reagan had been shot. So these things that you remember. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And so when I start, I I thought, how do I know what was it that really informed her life? Because like you said, after these things, shifts. And so everyone's talking, and I hate the phrase, the new normal, but that's really what happens. You know, it it, it happens to everybody in life. There's this point where once this has happened, we can't go back to that. Now we can move forward. So what does it look like as we move forward? Uh, Even though she didn't know it was the Great Depression, it was informing Mm -hmm. everything about where she was right then. Yeah. She would be for the rest of her life and how she would live her life. Yeah. And as Mm -hmm. that informed, and so that was, that just felt like a good place to start for her. Yeah. Awesome. And, and she, um, so it's interesting because also if you're this age, you saw this behavior and you found out later what informed it. Right. So for example, um, I remember my grandmother and grandfather were very like upper middle class awesome looking family, you know, and we would get my grandpa something for Christmas. And I remember, you know, we'd go over there and stay and in his closet were all the shirts that we had bought him. They were yeah. still wrapped. Yeah. He wouldn't use anything new. And I, w- I didn't understand it. My mom would say, well, they went through the depression just like this. They yeah. went through the depression. Yeah. Which meant like you saved like christmas wrapping paper yeah baking grease hands you say baking grease yeah everything save for hard times yeah yeah you just did it your money for hard times because you didn't know you didn't know hard times were coming that's right because just as everybody's learning that lesson right now yeah Yeah. ready for hard times but and so uh even i'll say this back in late february early march 
when they're first starting to talk about this pandemic thing going around, I look over at Tanya and I said, we need to go to the store. We need to buy rice and beans. She says, what are you talking about? I said, this pandemic thing. She goes, are you serious? I said, well, I'm not so much worried about us catching it. I don't think we're in the demographic so much that we're worried about necessarily catching it. But let me tell you what's mm-hmm. going to happen. The supply chain is going to get broken real quick. Yeah. What do we do? I mean, we see that now with just toilet paper. Uh, so it's that basic idea. You need to save something for hard times. Hunker down. Oh, yeah. You never know when it's going to come. Yeah. Listen, well, and I, my grandmother, this, it'd have been nothing to her. She, she'd have been prepared. Well, sure. When people go, yeah, I don't know. Like we were, I was hanging out with a few people one day and somebody goes, I don't understand why all these old people are just out and about. I'm like, cause they've already been through shit. They're not scared. They're not yeah. scared. Like they could have been taken down by a hundred things at this point. Yeah. And do, do you know what I mean? Like, yes. They've lived till this point, then they're going to yes. go to the grocery store whenever they fucking want to. Yes. <laughs> That's the deal. There's, uh, there's the verse in Psalm where David says, I have been young, but now I'm old. But I've yeah. never been righteous forsaken or received begging bread. You have to be old and have gone through some things to realize, oh, well, that didn't take me out. That didn't take me out. So then when the, the next little thing that runs in the door and looks at you, you go, Really? 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 That's what you I'm got? Not, I've been <laughs> yeah. through some things. You're going to have to do a little better. And so that yeah. is a, kind of that basic principle. And so we, yeah. we've been having to wrestle with that a little bit with the Tanya's mother. She, uh, she's a, uh, she's a organ donor recipient. Uh, oh, Tanya's cool. sister, Jamie donated a kidney to Tanya's mother. And so with her immune deficiencies and things like yeah. that, she's been telling her, you're different. Yeah. I know I've been leaving. Chill her out. out. Yeah. Her. Please chill out. But she's, she's been through some things before. And they just want to live their lives. And she just wants to land They just want to live their lives. Everybody's got something, but nobody's got enough. Right. Yes. Oh, my gosh. Way to to call back to the story, Chris. I'm a reader. Here's what what happens, Alan, sometimes. And I think you you have uh, observed it already, but... Sometimes I get really off track. <laughs> no, it happens. It happens. <laughs> and Chris goes, remember? No, I don't. I like the off track. Okay, okay. Um, no, but what was great was what Chris just said was, everybody had something but no one had enough, is a quote from the story we're reading, which is, keep the goodwill of a dog. And it's a narrative, personal narrative written by Alan about his grandmother for a class. Um we have thus realized that I also know this grandmother. So it's extra super special now. <laughs> yes. So uh, this, if you grew up with, with, well, if you, even if you grew up in a place where you grew up on a farm or something. So he's basically starting to tell the story of his grandmother and her sayings and what he learned from her. And it's, and he sets it up by mentioning that she was growing up during the depression and one of the things, I think it's just in the first few paragraphs, talking about cooking dinner. Like, you don't just fix something to eat. You don't just go to the store, go to the restaurant, you know. George would go outside with me, and I would shoot the chickens towards him until he could catch one. Then it'd wring its neck. She would yeah. say, well, moving her hand like a fifth grader sharpening a pencil. I know this. You wring it. its neck. Yeah. I know this motion. I've exactly. seen it. I and love it. Like a fifth grader sharpening. Because you go, I get that. I know exactly. I get a significant it. moment. 
Yes. When you cut their heads off, they keep dancing around for a few minutes. It's easier to wait until they stop than it is to try to catch them again. Once the chicken had finally given up the ghost, he was hers. But I have heard this story from my older relatives yes. also. I, and this, and this motion like of like everybody. you wring its neck, yes. I get it. Yeah. Because that was hard for everyone, especially right here in South Carolina. You mm -hmm. were poor. And really, yeah. it didn't matter if you were white or black. You were all poor. And so yeah. that's why the saying there, no one had enough because everyone was equally poor. Uh, in the house, if you were to take the address there in the story and Google it, I mean, the road's right there. It's right behind the fairgrounds. It oh, was wow. I mean, everyone right there was equally you know, it was white, it was black, but everybody was poor because you worked right there at the mill. Um, yeah. And so that was just life for everybody at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the other experience. Yeah. So um, t tell me about what you, because included in this is grandfather going off to World War II, mm -hmm. her working at Woolworths. Mm hmm. And these are all like very, uh, there's so many people who haven't, can have an anchor in this story of like, yes, I know someone in World War II. Yes, I know someone whose first job was at a soda counter or whatever. Yeah. Um, foxhole story. This is a very interesting sentence. So, um, so I'm just going to back up a little bit because I want to read this whole section. So... She married my grandfather, William, on January 23rd, 1942, and by February 9th, he was on his way to Tyndale. Two weeks. He was on his way to Tyndale Field, Florida. He would quickly be stationed in North Africa as an aerial machine gunner aboard the Big Dealer. Uncle Sam was kind enough to send him home on June 21st, 1943, with a Purple Heart and a thank you letter for parachuting into hostile territory over Tunisia when his B-52 was shot down. He hid in a foxhole all night while they kept looking for him. When the sun began to come up, he started running and never looked back. Here's the sentence. He told her that story one time and never mentioned it again. He, she said the only reason he told her then was so she would understand how serious he was when he promised he would never leave her again. It was the promise he kept for the next 64 years. So the reason why I love that story is because that story, do you guys hear a bunch of like swishy, like wind noise through mine? No. No. Okay. okay. That's just you. <laughs> I know. I hear the wind, John. But you know what I think it is, is I think there's some sort of interference. Yeah. Around interference. your head. Yeah. <laughs> Shut <laughs> up. There's noises. There's radio uh, waves. Just shooting through my head. Yep. So the, the, the other thing, this is kind of trusting the reader also, and I don't know if this was intentional, but almost everyone knows a veteran that like he told her that story one time and never mentioned it again. So true. Like the, the, the parachuting into hostile territory over Tunisia is an entire novel. Yes. That's an entire novel. But he talks about it one time because men in this era yes. did not talk about trauma. No, they it, did it, not. It was their duty. They just that assumed was their, it was their duty. It was what they were called to do. That everybody oh was sacrificing, and you went and did your duty for your country. And it wasn't because, yeah, as you say, as you look down the street, 
It was everyone having to go. And so you did it. You came back. You never discussed it. I probably would have never heard that story had I not literally cleaning one day in the house, found the Purple Heart, and asked her to tell me the story. And wow. then, uh, thankfully, because of the Internet, later when, um, when my younger sister was in school, she started researching some things on the Internet and been able to find the picture of my grandfather with those, uh, with the, there was nine people on the plane, only four survived. He was one of four who survived. Uh, there's a picture of them in front of the plane. And you can look up, I mean, thanks to the internet now, find all this information about it. Uh, but yet, those people, they never talked about that. Yeah. So yeah. Sacrifice of what they went through. They, it was just, that's just what we did. Well, and, and I think it just, since then, you know, we've seen a hundred thousand movies about the horrors of war. We've all read all the books mm -hmm. about the horrors of war. Mm -hmm. We all see live coverage of the horrors yeah. of war. So now I just don't think it's as easy to go, go to war, young man. And because people are like, uh, no, <laughs> like, yeah. I, that sounds really bad. Actually. I don't want to go do my I'm duty. Realistic. I don't, yeah, yeah. yeah. Up an army brat, there is a reason why I never enlisted. So oh, yeah. I, I like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And but so it was important also, I think, to include that in the story because it, it showed about their love for each other. How oh, yeah. It, uh, even though, I mean, they were married two weeks before he went off. But when he came back. 64 years. They were, they were together. Years. I mean, they modeled really for me that were, they were one of the models for me of what a healthy marriage and a relationship looked like. Two people working yeah. together, same goals, literally working, uh, to, whether it be working in their garden, working their jobs, working in their home, just really two people in this thing together. And so th they were a great model to me for that. Uh, and so there again, that was just how they informed me yeah. and, and how their story informs me of who I am. Today. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and the, wow, and there's this unspoken understanding, too, of, like, we, it, it, such a huge understanding, like, we don't even have to talk about it. Everybody knows yeah. in this town, every man that went away to war and came back because he didn't know any better or he was had to because he was drafted or for whatever reason that understanding of like, yeah, we all went through that. Let's just move on now. You know, let's just get our family going and our money going and just like, he's like, I'm never leaving you again. Yeah. Let's get on with being a family and take off, you know? And now I'm realizing Bill, grandpa mm -hmm. Bill, that means it was Bill Lawless Jr., right? Yeah. Uh -huh. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> Holy cow. I love this. See, um, also, uh, the part in the story where it talks about how um, the Great Depression would inform how she would save her money. She went on to work at the bank and how uh, she would be in fine. I, I think it was odd that how finances would form so much of her life. She would work at the bank and become course, a really professional. Um, and she would trust the bank. You know, she had stock in the bank and stock in back then it was Duke Power. Now it's Duke Energy. But uh, my grandfather, he'd seen too much to trust all that anymore. Uh, and he did. He had a 
a cigar box. I have a Tampa box there. If mm-hmm. you know what I have a Tampa box is, you know, it was grandpa's old cigar box. And that's where he would stack his money, literally cash back there. So that when hard times would ever hit again, he wasn't worried about his stock that wouldn't be there. He would have right. his money. Right. Yeah. 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 I, uh, it's, it's good. It paints such a picture. So, uh, are there any sections in here that you love a lot and want to read it out loud? Cause I would love to hear um, that. Any descriptions or anything that you really love? Like I love the garden description. Mm-hmm. I love the good. snap beans. Actually, Actually, um, read the part where I can remember sitting in her den with the mountains and read that one. Do you know what I'm talking about? You want me to? Yeah, I want you to. All right, here, let me. It's like a paragraph or two. Yeah, I will. Let me uh, pull it up real quick here on my phone. Because if I try and pull up on my computer, I will definitely lose you. Yeah, I've got a lot of windows open right now, and it's a very tenuous situation. Like, I'm like, oh, my God, I should close something. But what if I close the wrong thing? It would be scary. Actually, I can probably close that one. I've got it right here. Um, Okay. From the early days of spring until the dog days of summer had passed, Mama, that's what I called her, would come home from work at the bank and change her clothes. She would put on a stained blouse and a pair of polyester pants. She would tie her hair up in a kerchief and slide on her red clay stained rubber boots and go out in the backyard and work in her garden. Everything was purposefully planned and it had its place. The plot to the right was for tomato plants. The bed to the left was for cabbages, cucumbers, and squash. The rows coming along the fence were filled with butter beans, crowder peas, okra, and runners of string beans climbing across tall full of juke string. My job was to take the white five-gallon bucket and mix the blue miracle grow with the water. She would then walk between the rows with a bucket in one hand and a nail punch Maxwell House can in the other. She would fill an old sock with seven dust, tie a knot on the open end, and then tuck the knot in her back pocket. Oh my gosh! In the back pocket, and with the skill of an old west gunslinger, branched <laughs> six shooter, she would use it to kill any vermin or insect that tried to make a meal of her handiwork. And so, um, let's see. Uh, I can remember sitting in her den with the sliding door yeah. open to the backyard, watching the sunset behind the North Carolina mountains. The sound of crickets punctuating the low hum of the attic fan provided the perfect soundtrack to hours of shelling butter beans and stringing green snap beans while we watched Atlanta Braves. Do y'all remember doing that growing up, shelling beans? Yes. Yeah, I snapped peas. I snapped peas and shelled beans so much. Because yes, my yeah, mom put up a lot of food. Done. Yes. Because they, you saved. I think them. sometimes I did it while sitting on an ice cream churn. Do you know what I mean? Like you sat yes. on it to keep it down. Yes. <laughs> so you would sit on it on the back patio, snapping beans while the ice cream, peach ice cream went around and mm. around. So, yeah, that uh, my 10-year-old thumbs would start hurting, and I would ask her why we couldn't just go to the store since it was only two miles down the road, community cash. Yeah. Somebody <laughs> for what I can grow on my own. So I would snap, and she would can, and together we would fill her cupboards. I love it. I love it. I did that, and it made me want to – I have very little room to garden right now, but remember my dad – was in agricultural chemicals my dad was in agricultural chemicals so our backyard half of our backyard there was the Mm -hmm. basketball goal and then half of our backyard was a garden literally with like a row of corn and a row of watermelons and a row of okra and a row of beans and when my dad was testing something out we would grow enough food to like have to give a whole bunch of stuff away 
can a bunch, eat a bunch, give a bunch away, corn, everything. I wish I could. Well, you know what? I guess I can someday soon. I can grow that much again, but it was kind of a given. Yes, that's it just was a given. Yeah. People did. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, Chris, were there any parts of this that you wanted to read? Oh, I think we covered it. I think we covered it. Uh, uh, wait, no, 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 no. I want to hear the story about... Um, she would share the stories that her grandmother had shared about her growing up on a plantation. It was after the Civil War, and her father... The stepmother. The stepmother wasn't as kind to the children and would lock the pantry. Wait a minute. Okay, so this is your grandmother telling a story about her grandmother's yes. stepmother. Okay. And so, uh, and the interesting thing, this, uh, well, last summer, I started doing Ancestry.com, and I've been able to track a lot cool. of this back. And hopefully, I can yeah. go down to Prosperity and find uh, find some of these uh, graves down there now. Uh, but my grandmother used to tell the story that her grandmother would tell her about growing up on the plantation after her mother had died, the father remarried and the stepmother wasn't as kind to the stepchildren. You know, that whole Cinderella thing you kind of imagine. Yeah. And when she wouldn't feed him, she took the key to the pantry and kept the pantry locked. Well, the housemaid, Kizai, the house slave, I mean, that's obviously what she was at the time. Uh, she told the stepmother, I've watched one mother die I'll watch another one. It ain't nothing to me because she was going to feed those babies. She yeah. was care of uh, Whether the stepmother thought she was going to keep it locked or not, Kizai was willing to risk her own self to take care of those babies. Uh, and so that kind of, when I, when I remember those stories, my grandmother, those have always informed that you treat people well and that you, yeah. keep, you keep the goodwill of a dog. You always mm -hmm. be kind to people. You never know when you'll go back and need someone to return a kindness to you. And so that's and re that's the title of that story and where it kind of comes from that even her grandmother informed her that you just, you treat people well. Yeah. And two things, two things from this little episode. One is I love the name Kizai and I did, I would have said it Kizzy, but I uh -huh. love the fact that it's Kizai and you yeah. know it's Kizai because you've heard the story in real life. Yeah. The other thing is, um, it's kind of, it's kind of a sad fact that like, there's just been uppity dumbass white women treating people wrong for so long in our yeah. history. It's yeah. like, come on, stepmother, don't be like, must we? Yeah, must we be reminded and, 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 and of how long uppity white um, women have been fucking with other people? You might get this this reference here that growing up, having always heard this story, mm -hmm. that when I watched The Help and she brought her a chocolate pie, all I could think about was Kids Eye. I said, that was a Kids Eye. <laughs> she That's amazing. She brought the chocolate pie. Here's your chocolate pie, ma'am. Oh, man. Oh, I just remembered that. Oh, my God. Wow. Yep, yep, yep. Um, okay, so let's talk about Southern sayings, and then we'll move on to the other uh, other things. So when I try to explain certain Southern, Southern sayings, even simple ones, 
to friends in Michigan, it's, well, it's just like any regional thing, any regional thing. But one of the things you said was, I'll fix my kids something to eat. And we grew up fixing things to eat. Yeah. But where I live right now, nobody fixes something to eat. They cook something to eat. They prepare dinner, but uh -huh. nobody fixes something. And so I can be going along, going along in Michigan. And then all of a sudden I'll be like, well, I'm going to go fix some supper. And suddenly people are like, wait a minute. What? Where are you from? It's the only one broken of some sort. I'm going to go yeah. I'm gonna go fix us some supper, and uh, it seems like supper isn't used that much around here, and fixing a meal isn't really used that much. My mom used to say, and she still does actually, but she, she I grew up and she would a surprise thing, like when she was surprised at information, there was all kinds of phrases. She would go like, "Well, great day." Yeah, like that meant I'm surprised. The other thing that meant I'm surprised was bless Pat. Like that also meant I'm surprised and I'll try. I don't know where any of those things came from, from or why those all mean the same thing. But also she would say, here's something my mom also still says, and I love it. Um, she says, well, she's gossiping, right? And she'll yeah. go, well, do you want to know the truth? And that's <laughs> one level. Or she'll be like, well, you want to know the honest truth, right? <laughs> And then the third level of truth knowing is God's honest truth. Right. right? Ah. We want to know the truth. They never paid for that house or whatever it is. <laughs> you want to know God's honest truth. She can't keep a man, you know, whatever it is. Yes. There's three levels, the truth, the honest oh truth, gosh. and the God's honest truth. Three levels. Until you get to the God's honest truth level, you're not sure if it's right. their truth, truth. <laughs> because it's the level of detail included in the story. Sure, sure. It's a It's a level of detail included in the story. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. The God's honest truth. Yeah. Depends oh, God. Intimacy depends on what level of honesty I can give you at this time. <laughs> right, right. That's the lady sitting around after a big lunch, finishing off the edges of a casserole. That's that yes. level of honest truth. Like when those ladies that are left there talking after the meal for like two hours, just evening off the side of the pie, I'm just going to even it off. Um, do you guys think that's a Southern thing or is that an everywhere thing? Even it off? Like no. you've got a casserole or a pie yeah. and you're not getting a whole nother slice. Yeah. You're just yeah. evening yeah, it off. Yeah, you're just, yeah, evening it off, yeah. You're just evening it off, yeah. yeah. I think that might be... A, universal. A universal. Yeah, that's a universal yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's see. So we follow grandmother. Um, oh, so wait a minute. So did her house... Oh, your mother lives there now. Still there. Yeah. In the house right now, this minute. Oh my gosh, that's wild! I love that. A lot of the things are still there, and um, the the part with the last line of the story where it says the red rolling pin uh -huh. left of hers that that is true. It, it, even right now, it, it's sitting on top of my stove. I look at it every day as I walk out. 
when uh, a lot of times when I have my students uh, in the second nine weeks, they have to write a personal narrative. Tell me one of your favorite stories. A lot of times I share this story with them to, so I can show them. You know, I write things too, you know. Yeah. And when I tell this story, I pull up a picture on my screen in my classroom of this rolling pin sitting on top of the stove. And, like, what is that? and so I, I pull it up and then I read the story and they go, is that, is that the red rolling pin? And so, yeah, they make the connection with the story and everything. So that's, that's cool. awesome. That's awesome. Do people, I know this is probably a hard question to answer, but like, are you a cool teacher? Uh, yes (laughs) yeah he's in a band duh we're moving from the old McCracken this year we've cleaned everything out since they built a new Spartan High we'll McCracken will be moving to the old Spartan High wow um that's so weird after my first year of teaching you know you had desk you know 24 desks and six rows and by four little cute yeah I hated it. I couldn't move around. I couldn't interact with the kids like I yeah. wanted to. It was natural for me. So I started researching flexible seating, took all, and went and begged Miss Peach. I don't know if you can remember Miss Peach. Miss Peach, Peach was my Miss Peach was my JV cheerleading coach. Yes. He's well, still she's there? She's my principal now. That so makes sense. I I asked her if I could do flexible seating and she wasn't sure, but she said, since I was so enthusiastic about it, she couldn't hardly tell me no. Took all the desk out and put tables Peach. in and chairs and cushions and stools and things like that. Uh, I've got an Avenger themed classroom. I had fat heads on the wall, like Iron Man, Captain America, Funko Pops. Cool teacher. There. Yeah. So that when students come, when they walk down, they look in, they want to walk in. And then they yeah, see the book, they you know, do. All the cool books and all the toys on it and the Avenger figures. Uh, and so it has to be a place where they walk in, where they feel invited, where they Heck feel yeah. safe, where they yeah. feel where they want to hang out. That. So it's kind of that idea of I need to get them in the boat and let them know, hey, I'm kind of in the boat with you. I'm I'm not here to bust your chops. Sixth grade year is not your make it or break it. Well, it's not your make it or break it year academically. Yeah. Right. It's awkward, but... It but... a big transition year. Yeah. yeah. I tried to instill some habits and some things in you that will help you find some footing as you start enter puberty and come through this thing to help you recognize That's who you this are. Thing. Some goals yeah. <laughs> yeah, this thing. some gold. Yeah, this thing. And you kind of move along. You know, this is so funny. Your brother, think about my sixth grade class, Holden's Chapel, Mr. Gray, was me, Joey Smith, Mason, Ricky Paris, Scott Deal. Oh, my God. It hurts me. It hurts me. <laughs> but that was such a formative year and the, the friendships we made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When, oh, when, yeah. You start making there in junior high that still carry on through life. Holy um, crap. So the biggest thing I'm trying to do is obviously teach them standards, want them to do Miss well. Smart. But I'm trying to, yes. Great teacher. yes. I'm trying to encourage them for some of these good habits and say, hey, mm-hmm. now you, don't let sixth grade 12-year-old you rob 20-year-old you of an opportunity. Give yourself the best chance to succeed. Hell yeah. Wait a minute. What is your band's name again? Turn Up the Monster. Turn Up the Monster? Yeah. Oh my God, I love it. Once in a while, you want to cut off the lights and turn up the monster. Turn up the monster. I'm doing it right after this show. I'm going to turn up the monster. I'm going to do it during this show. Um, Speaking of turn up the monster, 
one of my neighbors just started playing electric guitar. So just FYI. <laughs> That's he, hilarious. He um, yeah. 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 So um, I can't believe Miss Peach is a principal. I totally and can. I have to. I ha- well, I love it. I love it. But yeah. I have one She's gonna memory. Do about of two more years. She's going to do about two more years and then she'll retire. Oh, my God. Well, so it, when you see her. Or, or we'll play this for, we'll tag yeah. her in it or something. You'll have to send me her little social media information because Miss Peach was the JV cheerleading coach and the cheerleaders were like Lori Mumpower oh my and, God. and like Crystal. There were two sisters that were really mm. pretty and one, then there was somebody named Sherry. I don't know. There was cheerleaders. Wow. And they loved Miss Peach and hung out with Miss Peach and everything. But they also just tortured and embarrassed Miss Peach, you know, because they were ridiculous teenage girls. And she would just be trying to get some privacy, like over there, you know, I'm, I'm going to run P real quick. And all these girls would be in the hallway going like, Peach, are you peeing? <laughs> peach, 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 are you? Like screaming into the bathroom after her. And she would just be like, oh, can I have three seconds to myself? <laughs> She's great. She is great to work for. I'm oh my God! Her I can't. I can't. You know what I think about McCracken too? I feel like in my memory, when we were young, McCracken was brand new, it and was. when we would visit there to go like for a game or something, yeah. it felt super fancy and like it was a thousand miles away. It was like, what? ooh, what is this place? It's so. It At felt like thirty years ago. It was. Oh my God. It felt like a big city. So, okay. So I need to ask your permission, Alan, if someone, I kind of, we keep referencing these. Usually when we're talking about a book or something, we can say, you know, go get the sun also rises or look this up. Right. But can I share this if people want to, can I attach it? Okay, great. So that first one was um, always keep the goodwill of a dog or it's called keep the goodwill of dog. And the second one was not about real people, right? It was just a story. It's base. Here's the trick. So, okay. again, it was another creative writing assignment. All right. I only had about two weeks to do it. The prompt for this one was you had to tell a story, not just a personal narrative, but you had to tell a story. Because of a time thing, I thought, how can I cheat this a little bit? Whose story can I kind of tell? <laughs> It takes sure. some personal liberty with, you know, I mean, how many times you watched the movie, you know, the names have been changed to protect innocent. Yeah. Women. Yeah. All right. Good stories based off something that you've heard <laughs> somewhere else. So this story is based off my other grandmother, my dad's mom. Oh. Her name was actually Theola. She's actually from Texarkana. She actually was the youngest uh, in, in the family. She had a sister named Laverne. Uh, that is true. The, the, the main character. We need to bring name, back the name Laverne, FYI, because what a great name. Uh, the names of the main characters in the story, uh, Clay and Joe. Clay was my dad's name. Joe was my uncle's name. So that's where those names came from. Uh Bernie's daughter, Mary Ada. I'm not sure that was actually her daughter, uh, but I, there, my, I did. Ha- my dad had a cousin named Mary Ada, uh, sure. who just passed away recently. So yeah, a, a lot. Andy, the character at the end on the motorcycle. That was Andy Tinsley. <laughs> no, actually, it wasn't Andy Tinsley, but it was another Andy that I know who actually is a wonderful guy, but <laughs> is a Harley rider, a one percent. Sure. 
He is one of those guys, but I mean, he would literally do anything for you. So when I was trying to think of, you know, who's this big burly character that when you see, you go, oh my God, I'm getting ready to die. But once you have that (laughs) conversation with you, go, Oh, this is the nicest spell I ever meant. Well, yeah. Then you realize. Then you realize he has a tiny dog. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be Andy, and so yeah. I, yeah. It, of course, if Andy knew I would talked about him that way, he he probably would would kill me. To, uh, <laughs> that's not that's true. Funny. I'm not really a softy like that, but he is. It's Andy's worth a, the risk. So it's all worth of these were the based risk. off people. <laughs> um, the Texarkana part was true. Uh, when I was writing it, I did Google Texarkana, you know, what was the biggest industry at the time? So when it talks about the, uh, I forget what it's called, the red something, whatever, the factory there in town that was, and really to this day is still kind of the biggest employer in that little town. Uh, so all of those parts were kind of true. It allowed me to borrow from the story, uh, to tell a different story. So, so I have to tell you the other thing, first thing I wrote about this story too, road trip is I also loved the intro. I loved the way you come into the story. It's so great. So I'm going to read this Um, because again, it's your voice. It's your voice. So winter time is an awful time for a funeral. Trying to force a hole into the frozen ground is no easy task. Expecting people to stand around that hole and pay their respects when it's 28 degrees outside seems pretty asinine and should almost guarantee a spot in heaven for the deceased. Summertime doesn't rank much better. It's not much easier to bust open the hardened red Carolina clay when it's been in the 90s for four weeks and the humidity is 86%. Wiping sweat, swatting flies, and dreaming about the crisp taste of an ice-cold Bud Light doesn't go too well with the last verse of Amazing Grace. Fall, just too busy. Between harvest festivals, football games, and raking leaves, there's not enough time to stop and pay the respect that's due the deceased. And besides that, most of the women would just show up wearing boots and scarves and sipping on pumpkin spice latte, lattes. Now, spring spring seems like it was created for a funeral. As the azaleas begin to bloom and the leaves return to the tall oak trees, we're reminded of new beginnings, rebirth, and resurrection. Spring is a perfect time for putting things into the ground, so it seems only proper for Aunt Bernie to give up the ghost the other day and prepare for the long dirt nap. Bam! <laughs> I love that! <laughs> I love that setup because it's just well, it's it's irreverent immediately. Mm-hmm. It's kind of irreverent. Like there's yeah. no good time to die. There's never a good time for a funeral. But if you have to pick something, yeah, spring spring's good. <laughs> it's well, good. It, so part of the idea of, about that is um, again, you, you know, well, Bernie said, well, how do how, why should you care about that? How do I get you in the boat so you're caring about the story story first? Well, so as you go through the seasons. Obviously, everyone has, if you, you've lived any amount of time on the planet, you've experienced seasons or whatever. Uh, part of the, one of the things, uh, unfortunate roles of being a pastor is I've been to a ton of funerals, way too many. Mm. More, I'd say more than anybody should ever have to attend. Uh, and there's, there's really, there, there's not a good season for a funeral. You know, yeah. there's not a great time to really go and have no. it. Uh, and so to kind of start off, because it is a little bit of an irreverent story and it, it was supposed to be, I wanted it to be humorous. Uh, really to start to start it off with there's no good time to have a funeral makes you wonder okay so is there a good time to have yeah a funeral? tell me more so it immediately begs that question so as you start reading yeah. it, we go, well that makes sense well that makes sense so that by the time we get through kind of cataloging going through the seasons when we say spring is a good time now I can introduce you to that character of Aunt Bernie she's died okay now I'm kind of 
Well, now, since I'm already in the story, what's going on with this St. Bernie person? Yeah. Love it. Love yeah. it. And the road trip, the, like, road trip double meaning of, like, I'm going on a trip to mm-hmm. see someone who's passing on, you know, yeah. who's moving on. I love that. Well, I don't know if it was intended life. as a double meaning. No, it was. That yeah. Life is that journey thing and, and kind of. In, in the close of that last sentence, it's kind of that realization of it is just a journey. And yeah. the best thing that we can do, um, I tell people when my life is over with, the only thing that's going to be matters was my love for God made evident in the way I treated other people. Mm. So am I being kind as I go through life and the way I interact with other people? Am I enjoying life? Am I a joy to be around? Uh, bad things happen to everybody, but depending upon how I choose to see the situation, I can enjoy or I can try to find the joy in everything. And so how do we enjoy this journey that we're on? Everybody's on it. If you're here, you're on this journey of life. How do we find the joy in it? Yeah. And it, and it immediately, what I love, um, what I love about this is it's the story. I like it when you take what could be a, this could be a super sad story, but it's not, you know what I mean? It's like, well, they lived a good life. We're going to the funeral now. We're going to road trip there. It's going to be kind of a pain in the ass. You, you know, it's just kind of like the story's just unfolding. The funerals are a part of life. We're going and it's, it, it, do you know what I mean? It's just, you're into the story without making it. Yeah overly sappy or anything yeah which i just love i just love it um do 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 okay so now tell me about um tell me about i want you to read something about the road trip oh no 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 i want you to read about camp croft because chris Mm. do you have a pretty strong memory of camp croft i have a yeah i do a decent, I didn't spend a lot of time there, but I do have a, I know what it was. And Right. It was yeah. like a public pool. Yeah. that was always really crowded and like a hundred degrees and cement. So by the time you were done, you were sunburned and the bottom of your feet were destroyed <laughs> and you were all like overly chlorinated and overly, that's my memory of camp. Yeah. I don't know what else it was at all. There's a campground there, I think. So it is, it's a state park. Yeah, it's a state park. And they, they closed the swimming pool down, and gosh, I want to say 20, 30 years ago. It's been closed a long time. Right after the last have, time I went. <laughs> <laughs> they have a lake there that you can There's uh, a lake. That's what I thought. You can, oh, shit. on that you can do fishing. There's a lot of horse trails and uh, horse stalls where you can go there and camp and keep your horse overnight, things like that. There's a uh, small campground. Keep your horse that's there. Mostly, that's mostly what it is now. Um, what it's used for, but back in, in well, actually, even if in the First World War, it was a training ground for soldiers. That's what it was. It was Camp Croft, and that's where they trained soldiers uh, for oh. World War One and World War Two. And that is an actual fact. You can, uh, there's a Spartanburg Herald Journal write-up somewhere that they did where my grandparents, they bought the mess hall when they closed the, uh, the wow. camp down. They bought the mess hall. My grandfather, with his own hands, he converted the mess hall into their house. Uh of course, my grandmother, she's been passed on for years now. And before that, she moved out. But the house is still there uh, right off. What is that? 
295 that runs right up beside Camp Croft, right through where, you know, all the oil tankers and things are, kind of the gas. I can't picture it. It's such a childhood memory. I My can. entire memory is swimming pool. Yeah, that's it. it. It's <laughs> one of those places that it felt like you were riding forever to go out. Yeah, there, you know, that's true. It's the other side of town now. It was, but, yeah. Uh, but th that's what it was. And so that was their house, the old mess hall right there in Camp Wow. Croft. That's crazy. What? Wow. Um, okay. So the sister, so Mary Ada uh -huh. was Aunt Vernie's sister. Mom. Is that right? Daughter. Yeah, right. Aunt Vernie's daughter, Mary Ada. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, and I don't know if that was, that's actually, that's, that's the part I kind of made up. I used to name Mary Ada. Um, do you remember in where the 295 Sports Complex was? You said no. that's kind of like you passed no it way. right out towards Camp Croft. No, I have no. Right there no where way. Union Street and 295 <laughs> meet. Yeah, a, I know where that is. House that sits on the corner. Everybody says the house is haunted. Ooh, spooky house. Uh, but that's where Mary Ada used to oh, live. No it's kidding. still what? rough house. Anyway. Um, yeah, I made that part up, but I wanted to include a family name if I could right there. That's cool. Well, no, what I'm trying to figure out is, okay, so the phone call the other day, Aunt Bernie's daughter, Mary Ada, called Ma to let her know that Aunt uh -huh. Bernie, it Aunt Bernie's away. daughter made it early. Okay, so Mary Ada is saying that her, her mom had died. Um, died and that she wanted the brother, the two brothers to come with her, right? Well, okay, so what's, what's happening, happening is... Uh, yeah, <laughs> Set it up. Away. Set it up. Okay. Okay. So, Theola was my grandmother. In the story, okay. uh, Aunt Vernie, her sister Laverne, has passed away. Okay. And uh, her daughter Mary Ada has called Theola to let her know that her sister's passed away. That she needs to come out to Texarkana for the funeral. Since my grandmother's eighty-five, she doesn't want to go out there by herself, and she will now be calling Joe and uh, Clay to come and pick her up and drive her out for a road trip to uh, her sister's funeral. Got you. Okay. And, and so in neither... my idea, Clay, Clay was based off of me. Obviously, he's married to Tanya in the story. Joe was based off my brother, but instead of giving him the names Mark and Alan, I gave him my dad and my uncle's name of Clay and Joe. Fair so that's enough. That like, Fair again, enough. I was cheating to make the assignment easier for me to write. So did you go? It's funny because it's so complicated. Did, no. 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 Oh, love it, love it. That's no, awesome. Okay. It's made up. Okay, so it's made up. Okay. Um, oh well, then I love it even more now because because the idea of three people on a long road trip suddenly for a funeral um, for a funeral it is a great setup. Yeah, okay. Because it's you could do anything after that. You right. could do anything after that, and it would be fine, right? right. And, and What's also great about it is you have a destination. Right. Like, that's the arc of the story, and it really gives you this such a net. When you're going to try to tell a story or show who people are in a really, like, succinct way, and you give them that natural arc, it's just, it, it, it's such a relief because it frees you up to dig into what the people are doing. It's good. Well, and, yeah. and that was part of it. You know, with any good story, you have to care about the characters. And so 
for me to cheat for this story, I thought, well, who are some people the that I already know? <laughs> it was kind of. It's kind of true. I mean, it's a true thing. See, for me, for me, the cheat isn't that you, I don't know what your cheat is, but in my mind, the cheat is the, the road trip itself, because I, I would say, I, I don't know. There, I, I don't know. There, I, I think it's the journey thing. It's like, and you're going to a funeral and that just sets the whole t- the, the tone that, and it gives it that com- a little bit of comic relief. Most people have been on a road trip. Yeah, most people are on a road trip. You're packing your suitcase, but you know, like on any road trip, you're like a kid in the backseat of the car. You know, you're getting somewhere. Mm. That's coming. I know what's coming, and I'm that's I'm excited about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. But you wrapped it up neatly before the funeral, really well, by giving her her showing at that poignant moment where she's like, I'm getting on the back of this motorcycle. It's her journey. So we, we don't even get to the funeral, but we don't really need to. Well, and, and there again, it's kind of the idea of, you know, our life is about the living part of it. The yeah, death is, exactly. That's the whole story. The death That's isn't the, the end. We'll realize it's a transition. Yeah. Ultimately, spiritually, it's a transition from this life into the next life. But while we're in this life, to make the most of it and try and enjoy every part of it and, and not to focus so much about on the end of it. Right. I mean, I don't want to, at the end of my life, say, well, I was married to Tanya for 50 You don't want to be driving to the funeral your whole life. Right. I want to be. But if you are driving to the funeral your whole life, you might as well have a damn good time. I might as well put some Mountain Dew and peanut m ms in the car and enjoy my trip. Right. <laughs> Mountain Dew and peanut M&M's. Holy crap. I might go get some of those immediately. Although I've got a biscuit recipe. I've got like a biscuit recipe on the counter and gluten free. Cause I've got a bunch of friends that I can have to like alter my Southern cooking for. And was like, I can never make them biscuits that you slather with butter because if they don't eat dairy or they can't have gluten or whatever. So I have this great gluten-free, I've got a great gluten-free biscuit recipe I'm itching to try. So I have to ask you about this. Um, Get your Mary Berry suit. I love that. Mary Berry suit and something to wear for the ride home. I had a question about, yeah. We'll have to drive through tonight so we can get there in time for her service, but we can stop and spend the night somewhere Saturday if y'all want to. And then you say, now I'm sure she has a mouse in her pocket. So what does that mean? We, why the hell am I hoping that she has a mouse in her pocket? Oh, me and this mouse in my pocket. Yeah. That's the we. Oh, shoot. I'm like, why don't I get I'm wondering who is she talking about? Oh, okay. so, <laughs> oh, that's another one of those things. So when someone says, "Are we going to the store?" You go, "We." You got a mouse in your pocket. I ain't going nowhere. Oh my you. god! So that sounds said, so much like I'm, Robbie. The character saying, "What do you mean, we?" Yeah. No, but but really, that that's who the character is. She's already made up in her mind. This is what we're doing. I'm not calling really discuss this with you. I'm calling to give you instructions about what we're going to be doing next. Right, right. That's the kind of person that this this character is. And so she's not called to debate it with me. She's just telling me kind of what we're going to be doing. Plus, she also knows that how am I going to tell her no? I mean, how do you tell an 85-year-old woman you're not taking her to a funeral? That's what I love about getting to be a bossy 
old woman as I get older is like it gets less and less important. Like I don't care what other people think. I haven't for a long time, but as I get older, I'm like, oh, I'm annoying you. That's fine with me. <laughs> I'm perfectly comfortable being being uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not going to harm you, but I'm going to be fully myself. And if you think I look and smell funny, I am okay with that. Um, I am okay with that. So Joe is a great older brother. Oh my gosh, we've almost been on two hours. What? Ah, yeah. okay. So then there's the things that happen. Like who's driving? Who has enough sleep? Are you going to smoke the whole time? Or are you going to not smoke weed for 12 hours on a road trip? Is that what you're thinking? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> he that's agreed the, the to the drive because of all the potential for weed smoking. He's like 12 hour drive. Absolutely. Let me get my weed. That's what he was thinking. Well, he knows he's um, not leaving the house without it. Sure, of course. Yes. Because road trip equals radio, late night conversations. It's the perfect soundtrack. Everything. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it would be really fun. It would be really fun, actually, you know, because like when you've got if you've ever had the opportunity to do an emergency road trip like last year, I went on um, like a big float down the river with a whole bunch of people. There's probably like six. I mean, at least 30 floats tied together. And we were tied to a barge that had like 10 more people on it. So we're all this big, huge thing going down. the. We hit some rapids. Some people lost some stuff. They lost like. You know, somebody lost a phone. So, but but my neighbor, who I didn't even know that well, lost everything. He lost his money, his keys, his phone. His, like he couldn't move his car. He couldn't call anybody. It was just jacked up. So we spent like a day and a half of me just driving him around, him trying to figure out his stuff. And I just happened to have time. So everything was just like, well, we're in the car together for a couple of days. Let's just chat, you know? And it's that great feeling of like, yeah. there's no agenda really. Yeah, yeah. There's no agenda. We're just in this car together for a while, you know? Yeah, yeah. Again, well, you're, you're forced to be here. Yeah, so you're forced to be here. Yeah. It's like live, a road trip, you know, that analogy. We're forced to be here. So how do we make the most of it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Love it. Love it. And then there's little details. This is another thing you're great at. In the first story, it was kneading and gardening, kneading yeah. the dough and gardening, great details. And coming then home from um, work. coming off work, changing, all that stuff yeah. in the garden. And then this one is um, I told her it was a hell of a thing to say, oh, I, she says, Would you really tell your 85 year old grandmother that you won't take her to her dentist's funeral? which is a great sentence. Yeah. I couldn't help but laugh a little bit for having thought the same thing. What'd you say? I told her that it was a hell of a thing to say, to which she calmly replied, I know. Then I tried to tell her that I couldn't because I would have to stay at the shop at least until eight when the late truck comes by to pick up the last pallet of parts we have going out. Love that detail. So yeah. I'm going by myself then? Hell no. She told me to make sure that we picked her up not one minute after 11 because they'll lock the door at the assisted living facility and she'll be stuck outside waiting on it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's going to get herself outside. Yeah. Yes. And then just be waiting on the road trip. And that's it. That's what's happening. Oh, okay, you don't get done till 8. So if you guys leave at 8, you'll pick me up at 11. 
great. I'll be standing outside. <laughs> because that's it. Really, that was who uh, this grandmother, the old, that's who she was. Very headstrong. We would say stubborn, but I don't think stubborn's a negative attribute. She was very headstrong that she was secure and that she knew who she was. My yeah. grandfather had passed nice. away. 20 years before she did. So she had that period of time where she lived alone, was secure in who she was and what she believed and what she did. Uh, And so once she said something, she pretty much already thought everything out. She wasn't telling you so much for a discussion as to, no, I've thought about it. Here's what I'm going to do. Here's the time. Oh, sure. Uh, Yeah. She knows more than all (laughs) y'all. She knows more than Oh, we just yeah. we need to follow along. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, I hear you, Ma. Are we going to burn one and listen to the Black Crows on the way? Baby, you can listen to whatever you want. I brought my own headphones. I'm fixing to listen to the Gaithers <laughs> and close my eyes. <laughs> I had my cataract surgery six years ago. I'm good. That little picture is just mm-hmm. fab. Love it. Love it, love it. Yeah. Well done. Um, out well done. How many times have you heard somebody say that? I'm just going to rest fixing my time. eyes a little bit. I'm just going to I just want to close my eyes. I'm just fixing to close my fixing. eyes. Yeah. Fixing to close, close my, eyes. my eyes for a while. I'm not going oh to sleep God. yet. I just want to close my eyes for a minute. I just want to rest. Yeah. Coffee black. Two ice cubes on top, please. And see if you can find an air fresher. It smells like we hit a skunk. <laughs> <laughs> A fun game in my neighborhood, a fun game in my neighborhood in Ypsilanti is, is that skunk weed or is that skunk? Because there are skunks, you know, there's like skunk season. And sometimes it is really tricky when you're coming down the street. You're like, no, no, no. I think that's a real skunk. I think we got to be careful. Like you're not afraid of skunk weed. You're afraid of like a skunk. Skunk and your dog is what you're afraid of. Right. Um, but I feel like we hit a skunk. I've been in that car. I understand. Um, and then he brings do, it back, do. doesn't he? Because he's standing in line and he says, if I had two ice cubes in my coffee, I could sip it right now. Isn't, isn't that true? Wait a minute. Yeah, where I, is this? Do you Did, do that? No. Doesn't he bring it back in the story or am I just? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there again, I, wanted, I was trying to remember the things. Yeah. Oh, that's how it. Their lives parallel. How he's yeah. having the same thoughts that she thought. How yeah. he's thinking, you know, that would be a damn thing to say about not taking your 85-year-old grandma. And yeah. sure, he said it. So he, he finds how similar he is to his grandmother and the way they think about things. And then even when he doesn't realize it with the coffee, he gets up there and he goes. Makes sense. Okay, I'm, I'm, even at her older age and my age, yeah. that I'm a grown yeah. man. I'm still learning some things from her. Yeah, really well done. Yeah. So also, you know, what's interesting is when I hear 1% patch, I think of like the people who make the 1% most money, but that's not what this is about. This is I about know what that most. Meant. Yeah. Explain that. Cause it's different. It's a different reference. That I didn't know. Okay. So uh, in a, in a biker culture, you have like the one percenters uh, and they are, what the, does it mean? So they are the real ones. They're the ones that every cliche that you would think about a biker the hardcore probably into some illegal things may or may not have taken someone's life at some point in time Uh, like hell's angels type yes uh 
different clubs have different names. You know, if you watched uh, Sons of Anarchy, you can imagine someone like that. That the ninety nine percent of the people in a motorcycle thing are fake. Yeah, they're your weekend warriors. They bought a they motorcycle. They just want a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. They want to. They want to get out. One percent. They're the real thing. Oh, they're, they're the okay. one that you, They are the real one. You know, one percent. Yeah. Ninety-nine percent of them are fake. One percent are real. They actually live this lifestyle day in, day out. It's not a lifestyle. It's who they are. Right. Exactly. And and so when I think about this friend of mine, Andy, yeah, that's that's who he is. It's not just the lifestyle. Yeah. He literally has the patch and the tattoo on him. He is of the one percent. Um, yeah. I hey, tell fun people, fact. Yeah, I might be a pastor and I would pray for you, but I got some unsaved friends that I could call in a heartbeat. They would do just right, right. Don't mess with me. Um, don't make me call my grandmother's buddy. Well, you know what I think about uh, fun fact. Did you guys know this? So my brother, Robbie is married to Tammy and Tammy's uh, like wedding goal was to ride to her wedding on the back of a Harley. And she did. Wow. She she wanted to show up to church on a Harley. That was one of her like little little girl dream wedding things that she made come true. <laughs> love it. I know, isn't love it the it. best? I love isn't it. The best. Um, yeah. Uh, well, shoot, y'all. We're like at two hours here. Yeah. That was Good awesome. Job. I thank you so much. Uh, I'm just glad, uh, one, to get to talk with y'all, two, just to be able to uh, to share and talk about the writing a little bit. That's always yeah. Yes, that's what um, we do, Alan. That's what we do. I, I've, I've enjoyed it a whole bunch. Yeah. And <laughs> if if anybody from South Carolina is listening and you have one of those 20 hemp licenses, I would love to talk to you about how it's going. Yeah. For, for real, for real. Because yeah. um, this, I saw this story. I was trying to look up some South Carolina stuff. And this was the story that I found. This farmer, oh, let me see. I'll show you guys what I just found, and then we'll wrap up. Let me see if I can share my screen real quick. How did they do it before? This has been um, a remarkably smooth. Can you guys see that? Yep. Yeah. Yep. This farmer had a multi-million dollar hemp crop until South Carolina bulldozed it. So um, Harleyville, South Carolina, January 11th, wow. right? So this just happened in a state where um, hemp is supposed to be legal, but they'll they'll this is what this is the era that South Carolina is in. Is in, yeah. Um, because of water issues, he had used acreage not officially permitted for hemp by the state agricultural department. He called the agency to ask whether he should hire a crew to manually prop up the 25,000 plants. They said, keep doing what you're doing. So there is an era in every state where Ugh. it's kicking and screaming to keep, um, it's kicking and screaming to keep some sort of regulation. Clamp. Yeah, it's like, we've already decided that we wanna grow hemp, but some people are gonna go, well, let's make it as hard as possible. As possible. Let's make every single Punishing. part of the law hard Punishing. to follow let's let's yeah. say like my friend ryan went to federal prison for four years and, and he was that guy who when he was opening his business he called the cops and said hey this is what am i doing am i doing it right then he met all the city council and said this is what i'm doing am i doing it right he did it every single step of the way trying to do it right until they raided him and he went to federal prison for four years and anyway 
And that's happened to other people that I know. So I think South Carolina is in that kicking and screaming last fits of holding on to the old ways until yeah. somebody realizes, somebody's going to realize one day, like, wait a minute, that state over there just had billions of dollars in hemp revenue for their schools. Why aren't we doing that? Like somebody's going to figure it out. I believe in South Carolina, that's part of the thing. You know, to me, anything with government, until they can figure out how to get their piece of that pie. And that's everywhere. It, and to make it work for them, they're, they're not inclined that's everywhere. to do it. It's well, does somebody need to give them a chart? Because those pieces of evidence are out there. It, this is not a hard it's, thing. It's not. That's not what you're fighting against. So you're fighting against yeah. a, set, a mindset. Old guard. Um, you're fighting against you're, old guard. You're, you're fighting, fighting against, against sacred cows. Years. Yeah, old guard, yes. and and they. It's entrenched. Yeah. It is, it, it's it's very similar to the things that we face with blue laws with Sunday alcohol. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And some people might find this racism paradoxical for me or whatever, but um, I don't think you can legislate morality. You know, I'm not here to have, you know, to argue with you over legal cannabis. I'm not here to argue with you over abortion. I'm not here to argue with you over prayer in schools. My job is a disciple. And here's why I would tell yeah. you is to make Christianity following Jesus so attractive. <laughs> Get everybody in the boat. Get everybody in the boat. Or at least make it a nice, fun boat. Make the boat, yeah. I don't know, though. It's so, but it's so entrenched in South Carolina. It's so entrenched. I mean, not to get off on a, a, so hold on, not to get off on a soapbox, but it's like, I, I, I have a lot of scars from South Carolina. Right, but it's been a long time. uh, It doesn't matter (laughs) because it was so, for me personally, like mm-hmm. I, it was so such a painful place to be for me. <laughs> it's so mm-hmm. many levels, and I I did not have the patience. A lot of people have stayed and done great things, and I wish that. And I know it's it's changing, um, but I I applaud everybody who has stayed, who works to make changes in South Carolina. But just reading that article, I just. It was like, I, it's, yeah. so, it's so suffocating. And to even try to have a conversation about the change that still needs to occur, I, I just literally, my entire body just got hot. It's yeah. just, it's that just. That could be our age. It's so <laughs> entrenched. Yeah, that's true. It's just so <laughs> entrenched. I, I mean, um, yeah. Well, I, let, let me let me give you a little hope. Here's a little hope. Uh Six years ago, if I was home in South Carolina and I mentioned anything about marijuana or cannabis, no one would even respond. The room would freeze up. People would freak out. But now there's CBD shops anywhere. My brother knows someone growing. There's 20 hemp licenses. There's some medical. Do you know what I mean? Like little subtle changes and enough people around there. Like somebody's going to go somewhere and go, you guys we're kind of missing the boat, <laughs> you know, like yeah. we're kind of the, missing the boat. Like I remember when my mom visited art fair a few years ago in Michigan and it was really, really crowded in the city. It was too hot. We couldn't find a bathroom. I'm like, we're going to go to this wonderful bathroom right on main street. And it's going to be in the middle of a cannabis dispensary. And she didn't even know what the words cannabis dispensary meant, but I'm taking her up in the elevator to this really nice building with really nice art and everything. And I'm like, well, 
in Michigan, we have these shops where you can buy marijuana. You know, they're kind of everywhere. We've passed four on the way to this one, and my friend owns this one, and he's heard all about you, and we're going to go see him. And it was a beautiful place. She was very excited. And all of a sudden, she says, well, you know, my friend who owns the shop in 96, her son's had seizures his whole life. He's been in a wheelchair, and she has to go online, go on like the black market to get things for him. And I'm like, no, fuck that. We're calling her right now. We're going to find out what she's getting. We're going to get a better version of it yeah. from this shop right now. And we're going to give it to her. She's like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm like, are you telling me Yeah. as a good Christian woman that yeah. if you found something that stops your friend's son's seizures, you're not excited about it a little bit? <laughs> like you want to hide the fact that you're stopping seizures for your child like created in a lab yeah something that grows from the ground she grew out of the ground that grows out of the ground and you've realized that this thing that just grows out of the ground helps your son's seizure stop you need to be like dancing around on the roof with a flag like talking about it instead of picking either either you're going to get arrested you're going to move somewhere like Colorado or Michigan so you can treat your child, or you're going to let your child have seizures. Yeah. Or you're going to change the laws in your state. That's what's going to happen. And so something will either happen with a frustrated mom or a man that wants to make money. And when that frustrated mom meets that man that wants to make money, then South Carolina cannabis laws will change rapidly. Because there'll be some mom standing on the steps of the Capitol going like, I'm either going to give this to my child legally, or you're going to arrest me. Mm-hmm. Those are the two options. And the guy's going, well, I want to grow it. <laughs> I want to grow it. If you're going to buy it, I want to grow it. And I want a big company to make money off of it. And when that happens, you know what I mean? Enough people, yeah. will have, they'll be, it, it, so it'll still be a long fight because, you know, no state is perfect. But, um, but what I can tell you is that now people at least talk about it. The last time I was in South Carolina, my uncle and aunt were giving me a ride to the airport. And he was going, well, you know, I use CBD on my knees for running. And I'm like, well, you realize that's, that is cannabis, right? I mean, that's cannabis. Yeah. And, and you're just more comfortable because people have accepted the phrase CBD because CBD. they're not saying cannabidiol. You know, they're not yeah. saying the word. So... It's getting there. I truly believe. That's good. I oh, truly yeah. believe. I'm glad you believe. I mean, if expungement could happen first, because we kind of yeah. did it the opposite in Michigan, like expungement should come first. And then, especially since South Carolina has the second highest arrest in the country and um, still, even though most of the country is, you know, going legal and wreck and all that. So expungement should come first. If somebody is in South Carolina being an activist, I would love to hear what you're working on because- yeah do expungement first, <laughs> take, take notes from every other state um, so that it's not backwards. Cause then you'll be dealing with just a terrible situation on the other side where some people are making a lot of money on a product while other people are in jail. And you don't want that mm. in your state. You usually want, by color, usually by color, disparity by color. Yeah. So, um, Oh my gosh, what a fun show. I'm so happy. Um, so if you've been listening to Reads and Weeds, this is Shelly Smith. We've been talking to Alan Ruff and Chris Walton, my crew from Boiling Springs, South Carolina. And uh, <laughs> I'm going to put um, Alan's two uh, stories in our um, 
Facebook page and everything so you can read them and love them and uh, follow him, follow his band, which is Turn Up the Monster, or you can visit him doing his online service with Covenant um, Covenant Covenant Worship Worship Center. Center. Yeah. Or you can sit in on any sixth grade English class. Am I right? I'm just kidding. You can't do that. That's not allowed. <laughs> no, you have to come in through the front door. You have to yeah. do ID check. Yeah. You don't just let people wander through the school. You can't just wander into Alan's riveting superhero themed class. We love but... to have you, please don't just try and enter the school on the Don't do that. Alan, I cannot even thank you enough. And you're welcome back anytime. Even if like one of your students wrote a story that they want to come on and tell. If um, if you have any other authors or short stories that you, oh my gosh, here's one last thing. We'll wrap up on this. I right. promise, I promise. As a sixth grade teacher, what are the young adult books or short stories that you love the most? Because I would love to read some young adult short stories like that. Okay. Um Students in my class, when given the opportunity to read on their own, I find a lot of students um, who aren't necessarily on reading level, per se, love graphic novels. Yeah. Yes. What are their favorites? Uh, They love, uh, what is it, Smile? Gosh, what's the, uh, Raina... Raina Tagelmeyer, I think, is the author's name. She does a lot of... The girls love those. Um, Jason Reynolds books. Uh, the kids love those, like Long Way Down, uh, the Miles Morales Spider-Man series, the uh, Track Running series that he's done. They, they love that. When we do short stories, we we start the year off with short stories. Some of the short stories they love, they love short stories with the weird twist, like um, The Man from the South by Ronald Dahl. They love that. The Lottery, Lamb to the Slaughter. They love those stories that just have those. Oh, the lottery. Yeah. Yes, they love that. Uh, yeah, and, and terrible. One, one of the assignments they have is for, for the lottery, they have to do a podcast like they're, uh, like they're sportscasters watching the action unfold, and they have to talk about the foreshadowing and things like that. Yeah, they, they love it. Oh, they that's so stories. fun. That's so fun. Well, I love it. I will look up some of those things. If you ever want to come on and discuss like the um, – kind of the graphic novels or whatever. Sure. We haven't done that yet because yes. usually like Chris and I were talking, like neither one of us loves the video element. We much prefer just voices and microphones in the studio. Yeah. But um, because if you're doing a podcast, it doesn't make sense to go like, here's this picture of the graphic novel, you know, right. but you can talk about it enough and, and talk it up enough to promote those authors and everything. I'm fine with that. So, and I love them personally. I haven't done one. So come back anytime. And uh, keep in touch and tell Tanya I said hi and you're doing great. Love it. Love it. Bye, everybody. Have a great day. All right. Okay. Later. Hey, darling, I 
Just like everything else, those old crazy dreams. 